I'm surrounded by idiots. I'm gonna die surrounded by the biggest idiots in the galaxy. You're a slacker. You stupid idiot! Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Oh, idiot! Game over, man! Hey, hey, careful Whoa. with that, Ronnie Millsap. We're downrange. What's the matter with you? Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, friends and fiends, and welcome to another episode of Free Range Idiocy, the podcast about everything but mostly just the stuff we like. Uh, my name is Todd, and with me as always from halfway across the country, live via satellite through the magic of the interwebs, the axe to my smash coming off the top rope as usual, oh. it's Tim. Hello, hello. I w- you know, I have been waiting for you to break that one out the last few episodes. Uh, that, 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 that is apropos, my friend. Thank you. You know, I, I, just ki- I couldn't drop that in right away because... Anyone who who watched pro wrestling, WWF, back in the day, and when I'm talking back in the day, we're talking 80s, late 80s, uh, really uh, really like mid to late 80s, kind of that Hulk Hogan heyday sort of yeah. thing. Demolition was pretty badass. They, they uh, I don't think there is, there's another act from that time who had the sort of reaction when their music hit. I mean, that, that music even today still just rocks. I mean, I, you can find it on YouTube, but man, when, when, when those first licks kick on, it's like, there's they're just energy. You know, it's kind of like, um, the, the closest one I can think of is The Ultimate Warrior. You know what I mean? Like, like when his music yeah. hit, there was just energy, you know? And yeah. when, whether, well, I mean, you, and the thing is you have to take Hulk Hogan out of that discussion. Well, let me tell you something, brother. Because he was just so over. Yeah. It could have been like, you know, uh, tequila. Yes. You know, yes. <laughs> it could have been his theme song and people, it still would have been an explosion just because of oh, who yeah. he was. Yeah. So yeah, taking him out of the equation. I, I agree. Ultimate warrior and demolition by far. Of course. Now, once you actually start listening to the lyrics, though, if you just go with the music, you're fine. If you start listening to the lyrics. Here comes the ass, and here comes the smasher, the demolition, walking disaster. Early Neanderthal man. <laughs> Starts going sideways real quick. That's all I'm going to say. Now, but, now you, are, you are more of the wrestling historian and dare I say connoisseur uh, of, of professional wrestling than I am. Yeah, to, to some, and, to, and to some degree. To some degree, yes. Let me ask you this opinion. Yes, sir. Demolition. Mm-hmm. Were they basically a ripoff of the Road Warriors? That is the claim. Uh, when you look at the Road Warriors and you look at what Demolition was, it looks like Vince McMahon's project to basically have the Road Warriors without actually getting the real Road Warriors. <laughs> Um, but when you, when you watch the two teams, I mean, the road warriors competing in the NWA, you know, slash WCW versus what demolition did was they're just different styles. I mean, they're, they're still the smash mouth, you know, kind of brawling sort of thing, but, but demolition just brought like you, you had never seen a team like that before. You know what I mean? Like, like there might've been slight 
you know, kind of hints of it with, with teams from the past, but they were just booked in such a way that they came out and I mean, they just beat the tar out of people. I mean, and, and they made it look believable and they just were vicious, you know, just vicious for being a team. You know, when we talked about their music, I mean, when they went from from bad guy to good guy, um, my gosh, as soon as that music hit, the place went just nuts. I mean, they, they were like like you said, next to Hogan, they were probably one of the most over acts, you know, in the late 80s. And, and they had just an incredible run as tag champs. But but then eventually the Road Warriors made it to, to WWE and then. Um, now weren't they didn't they come in as a legion of doom they came in as a legion of doom yeah they, okay. they they didn't come in as the road warrior gimmick but they basically were doing the same gimmick and 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 those two teams feuded but the problem was by then um i think it was the i, I forget his name but the the guy who was essentially axe he was on his way out from just f- physically like he was ready to retire um yeah he, he i was, was reading old. up on that and today and uh, I, two things that I, that stood out to me. Uh, first of first of all, to go with what you're talking about, apparently the dude had a shellfish allergy. Oh, really? Like it was yeah, or, or he had. That's what it was, at least that's what it said on Wikipedia. And as we know, Wikipedia is never wrong. Um, yes, ask Michael but, uh, Scott about that. Wikipedia is the best thing ever. So, <laughs> well, yeah. So we, but apparently he had this. He had this allergy, and it was debilitating for him. Oh, and really? And it could come out of nowhere. And that's when they added in the third member of Demolition. Mm-hmm. And that was so that if, if he was not able to wrestle, there was always a third member there to toss in. Yeah. That was the explanation. And the cool part and about that, that is... Oh, sorry. Go ahead and finish. No, no, no. That was, And that was kind of the part of the reason why he was working his way out and was almost like a manager for the team. Yeah, yeah. When they were almost done their uh, their their WWF run. Yeah. And and the funny part is, I don't know if you remember this, but when they they brought in the third member who was Crush, you know, cuz you have Axe, you have Smash, so you must have Crush. Yep. Um when they brought him in, uh, they, they didn't call. I think these days they, they they would have used the term more freely because now you know Vince owns everything, so so nothing is you know off limits. But um, but they they blatantly uh, did what, what's called the Freebird rule, which was they 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 had, yes. they had the tag champs, or sorry, they they, they had the tag belts, and uh, any two out of the three of them could defend them. So yes. <laughs> Yeah, that was mentioned in the Wikipedia article, which I thought so, was funny. So, yeah, so they were basically stealing one from, uh, and, and I don't even think that was a WCW thing. I think that was a, um, oh, I think that was WCCW. That was the the Texas uh, Von Erich promotion where um, the Freebirds were just like, just crazy, crazy popular. And um, yeah, that was something they did. And then uh, Demolition kind of kind of took that from them. Now, the other thing that I thought was really interesting that came up in my research, because I remember there was some some people back in those days who just held belts for a long time. I mean, and it's just because there was never, it would always, it never seemed like there was an actual real live big match until like, until there was pay-per-views or every so often, like, what was it? Like Saturday night main event. Yes. Some of those, some of those shows where they would have like a legit match. I mean, not legit, legit, but like a legit contender instead of just, you know, Oh, here's, Joey Jobber is going to come out against Hulk Hogan. Gee, I wonder, is he going to hang on to the belt? Right. I don't know. Right. So, I mean, there was, I mean, Honky Tonk Man seemed like he was Intercontinental Champion forever. And, uh, you know, and, but Demolition held the belts, the tag belts, for something like 470 some odd days. And at the time, it was the longest anybody had held the tag team belts in the WWF. Yep. And then it's still the second longest 
next to I think it was the New Order, who I have no idea. No, the New. Oh, it's the New Day. It's it's the the New Day. Yeah, okay. they're 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 still a very popular act. Yeah. Okay, so but I they beat them by like twenty days. So, but I thought that was really interesting because it does make sense. Like those guys were their gimmick was just destroying anybody and everybody. And they had a nasty so, finish. They, they had a nasty finisher too. I mean, you had never seen anything like it. And yeah, it was what was just, it? Was a demolition detonator or something? Was what it was called? Yeah, they they mounted the guy like like one of the guys held him over his knee like a backbreaker, but not doing a backbreaker. So he was kind of hanging off the knee, and then the other guy mm-hmm. went from like the second turnbuckle and like elbow dropped him, and he just it caused. Like the way they did it just caused this rotation of the body that was just yeah. like, oh God. <laughs> you know, it just yeah. looked, it looked awful. It really did. I, I do remember that. Like it legit looked like it hurt. Even if it was done well, yes. it looked like it's going to sting no matter what. Yeah. So, so they, um, they held it for, what'd you say, 480? 470 some odd days at least. I think of the record. Okay. It might have been 470 even. I, I would have to look it up. Because I, I thought I they held it. Right cause, yeah, because back then, they usually did title changes at pay-per-views or like or like you know you were saying, Saturday Night's main event. And so by virtue of that, you would have people who would hold the titles for really long periods of time. Like Honky Tonk Man was the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion, and then you had Demolition. I thought they held the belts for well over two years. Um, well, I think they, they lost the belts. And then they got them back within a, yeah. within a couple months, and then they held on to them for some more. So I think there was yeah. there was a little bit of a of a of a of a period where they didn't have them, yep. and then they then they picked them back up. Oh, so this is like total them. number of days like o- across different reigns, basically. Well, no, that was consecutive. Oh, okay, okay. That was four hundred and seventy some odd consecutive days. Okay. Uh, title reign. Yeah. And then and then there were other there was two other they were three time champs, so they held it two other times. Mm-hmm. But it was the longest one was 470, and that that's the second longest consecutive day title yep. tag title reign. Yeah, which I mean is kind of cool. Now the the funny thing is, I I I ask you, somewhat of a oh boy, <laughs> we ain't even gotten to that part of the show yet. But you know what? Uh, go and help yourself. <laughs> Smell of your corn liquor or brewing is going to drive poor Miss Dryja right out of her mind. Anyways, uh, so let me ask you this because I have this is a bit of a loaded question because I have my answer. How do you feel that gimmick has aged? Like if you have you if you go and look at the look at the photos now or you look at any kind of uh, taking out the actual wrestling, mm-hmm. just the gimmick of of how they looked and and and. And the overall gimmick aspect of it, not necessarily the in-ring performance. Yeah. How do you feel that's aged? That's a hard one to answer. <laughs> it's it's kind of, they 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 were kind of an odd oddly outfitted sort of tag team. It was very uh, yeah very very uh, different uh, even back in the eighties. Um, uh, I I kind of I would have to say probably not well, but. I would say that if they were packaged slightly differently from a costume perspective, I think the music and the fact that because because one of my my gripes about now versus then is and, and it's not really the talent's fault because I think in a lot of ways they're forced into being scripted um, in terms of the promos that they give. Standing around like a bunch of morons. But a lot of the guys from that era had worked so many different territories and, and around the world that when they would cut promos, they, they just had a natural 
ability and skill for it. A little bit of the bubbly. And and not that what the two of them said was like, you know, Shakespeare by any stretch. All right, yo, something acts. We're standing up here with these tag team belts and that means we're number one. No, but no, they, they could cut a believable, you know, especially when, when they were playing more on the heel side of things, they, they, they just came across as just legit, you know, I, I we are going to beat the tar out of you. You know what I mean? And, and, it, and you believed it, you know? Um, so I think everything else about it, I think would be interesting now. Um, like I said, every now and then I'll, I'll pop over either on Spotify or on YouTube just to hear, you know, maybe a little bit of the song. And it just, you know, part of it is a memory thing for me, but you know, just because it's a piece of my childhood, but the other part of it is it's just a good rock tune. You know what I mean? It just has this like nice kind of rock vibe to it. Now, of course, like you said, lyrically, it's uh, questionable. Um, <laughs> oh, it it makes it makes it makes Motley Crue sound like you know Paul McCartney. Yes. And the Beatles. Oh yeah. I mean, like, yeah. there's one thing that just as I was going back, and I kind of I think I kind of forgot this on purpose, but the one thing that would have helped them extraordinarily, pants. Yeah. Oh my gosh, because I I never really put two and two together, but really, so the whole the whole like gimmick the the costume was based off of, and, it's, and this is why I was like, it has to be a Road Warrior, Road Warrior's ripoff, because it was basically based off of Mad Max 2, mm-hmm. the Road Warrior, yep. and the the bad guy there, which was, uh, what was it, Lord Humongous or something like that? Right, right. Humungulous or something like that? Yep. And that was his thing, like, basically, like, the most kind of weird BDSM outfit, you know, post-apocalyptic right. sort of thing going on, and that was what it was based off of. Really? The Lord you put him in some pants, and I think it would have helped the legitimacy a lot. That and that and maybe a protein shake and a couple days at the gym. Because yeah. you look at him now, you're like, <laughs> everyone was gassed up then. It's like, didn't they pass him around to these guys? I mean, yeah, yeah. Maybe hit the gym once in a while. Like it's two guys who are kind of like receding hairline. Right. I mean, dad bod plus. I would say. Yeah. Uh, in no danger of. Of of uh you know putting Rick Rude or the Ultimate Warrior to shame whatsoever. Right, right. In a way, it was kind of a throwback because I mean that's kind of what professional wrestlers used to be. Yeah. Well, and and, and that's what I mean. Like part of the that part of the costume probably could be redone. I I think I think the masks would still work. I, I, I oh yeah, I, the masks. I, I mean even the paint, but I mean pants. Yeah, please. Yeah. pants. Yeah. It was just awkward. Absolutely. As I was looking at pictures today, I'm like. I feel like I need to clear my search history. Like, <laughs> but but everything else about them, I, I I think, I mean, obviously you wouldn't bring it back as a retread because it would just not be accepted. I I, I think they're just one of those iconic, you know, yeah. tag teams that you you can't take their gimmick. You know, s- several times they've tried to redo like the Four Horsemen. You know, like like trip like uh, Triple H. Um, Randy Orton, Batista, and Ric Flair did this did this thing called Evolution, which was kind of in a way like version two of the Four Horsemen. You know. Yeah. Those things, those stables like that, you, you can always try to re-gimmick and bring back every, you know, 10 or 15 years. But to try to redo a team like that just would never fly because it's, it was just, it was a one and done. It was like they, they just did something that was original. And, and nowadays, you know, that's, that's what I think a lot of the talent struggles with now is just how, how do you stand out after everything else that's been done? So Standing around like a bunch of morons. But, Indeed. Uh, but, you know, hey, uh, that, that, that was very apropos, my friend. Thank you for... Uh, the walk down memory lane. You're welcome. You're welcome. Now on to our, our most important, well, question in this first part of the the uh, the episode. Uh, sir, what you drinking over there? To alcohol! 
the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Uh, I am uh, venturing out, if you will, from Ooh, the, boy. from from oh, the island boy. of geese to uh, a, a a different uh, not island, but but a different pet, uh, sleeping dog brewing. Wait, you keep you keep geese as pets? Uh, well, not really. They they just kind of roam around the, the neighborhood. Stop looking at me, Swan. Um, oh, okay, but anyway, fair enough. You know, when you have a water retention pond nearby, it just draws a certain crowd. Man, geese are mean too. Oh. They're they're just not happy birds whatsoever. No, they are they are cantankerous at best. Um, but uh, I am drinking what is called Tail Chaser IPA. So. Ooh. And, our, and how is it? It is quite good. It is it is quite tasty? It is a very uh, very good India pale ale, as as I've uh, had many. And uh, yeah, this is this stands up and holds its own. So I'm I'm very happy with it. And uh, yeah, Sleeping Dog Brewing Tail Chaser IPA. Very nice. Well, as I mentioned to you, uh, I was I had planned on having a uh, a nice uh, a nice uh, brew this evening. However, uh, after ingesting enough fried food to <laughs> kill a great Dane, oh I, my I, gosh. I, I couldn't eat another thing. I'm absolutely stuffed. Bugger That was just not going to happen. So I went with something a little bit more on the uh, the after-dinner sort of side. It's only a wafer thing. So right now I'm enjoying Whistle Pig. 10-year straight rye whiskey, mm. which uh, is distilled and bottled in the state of Vermont, which is a little bit unusual. Uh, Vermont, as I, or as I like to refer to it, the upside-down New Hampshire. Uh, it's, uh, it's quite good, and uh, I'm enjoying this a lot. Uh, I might have to... Uh, right now, I've, I, have a, I have a bourbon storage problem going on. I have, uh, I, have, I have a book storage problem, a CD storage problem, an LP storage problem, and now I have a bourbon storage problem. Ah. Uh, I, I've got way too much for the shelf, and I just don't finish anything because I say, ooh, I want to try this. Is this enough so have, to rival my Goose Island issue? Uh, no, I didn't get into an MLM program <laughs> like you did. <laughs> I didn't buy into that. I, oh, I stopped short Lord. of that. I mean, not that I haven't been approached. I'm, I'm just saying. But I, I, I said, no, I've, I've got enough issues on my, on my own. You would think, though, that I belong to Columbia Record House still. So, so, so just as, as a quick aside, um, when, when, you know, when you were talking about how you had fried food tonight, I've been watching um, The West Wing um, with my wife, and um, there's a storyline. I mean, this series has been on, so I don't really care about spoiling it for people, but nah. there's, there's a storyline where uh, the president has to step down. He invokes the 25th Amendment. And uh, of and the Speaker of the House, um, so he, the President's Democratic. Um, the Speaker of the House comes in to fill in for him because he doesn't have a Vice President, and uh, it's John Goodman. And so they're they're discussing in the episode having to fill the Vice Presidency because, as John Goodman's character puts it, and I, I love this line, he's one prime rib dinner away from uh, you know the 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 Senate uh, House Speaker or whoever it is, you know, stepping in for him, sort of thing. Like you know, he's going to keel over from. <laughs> I just thought that was a great line. It's like I'm one prime rib dinner away from from, from well, because falling that was over. back when that was when John Goodman was carrying around. I mean, he was he, he was like seriously unhealthy. He at one was, point. was yeah. Was he still real big at that? He point? was yeah, very very much so. Very, like it's night and day seeing him now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but it, Which it was is, just is a funny good. line. So 
it's it's still really weird though seeing some people that you I don't want to say grow grew up with, but you you got used to seeing them in one way, and then all of a sudden they lose a bunch of weight or right. I don't know change their hair or something after like years of being uh, of having a certain appearance, and then all of a sudden changes. It's still a little a little bit weird. It's getting better with John Goodman now, yeah. Um, yeah. But still, I mean, just a little bit weird when then if you see him in older stuff, we're like, whoa, wait, oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, you were you were like one Big Mac away from. You know, being in the the Oscars yearly retrospective. <laughs> oh God. That's one way of putting it. Jeez. <laughs> Just hey, you know, I mean, oh, that, good Lord. that's where we were at with John, and and thank and you know, thank goodness that he he took those steps and he he managed yes. to kind of change things around. I'm I'm happy because a lot of the stuff I've seen him in lately, man, he is just. So good. I need a glass of water. I need a credit card. I need a hundred dollar bill. I, I got a twenty. She'll do. So good. He's come so far since King Ralph. Let me tell you. Oh yeah. My work here is finished. Oh, it's yeah. a, it's a pleasure to see him now. Whereas King Ralph, I don't know if that's ever going to get its own. Uh, let's just put it this way: it's never going to be considered for the Criterion Collection. No. I don't think that's oh. one we have to worry about a reboot happening on. Well, I don't know, man, because with the way things are going now, with everybody uh, having their own streaming service, uh, so I, I read today that NBC, their new streaming service is called Peacock, which I was like, <laughs> okay, what, whatever. I, I just, I give Love up. Love to meet the marketing genius behind that one. Yeah, so you got like Disney Plus, who they, which I mean, they've got all the things. They've got all the things on Disney Plus. It's, it's going to be ridiculous. Then you have, uh, I think Warner Brothers is coming out with their own streaming service. Uh, NBC is doing their own. You've still got Hulu, which Disney has a controlling interest in, but then some other folks have an interest in. I mean, it's just all of these different services. And Netflix and and Amazon, luckily, you know, for them, I guess, started producing their own content, but they're going to need something. Yeah. And and all the with all the stuff that's being grabbed up and all the IP, dude, it wouldn't surprise me if we we got a King Ralph TV reboot I at really some point <laughs> on one of the two. It would not shock me. No, because I've have you have you explored kind of the outer edges of the Netflix library? Uh, from time to time, yes. It is scary. Yeah, like some of that stuff makes Sharknado look like Citizen Kane. Yeah, yeah. And I look at it, I'm like, how is this? Oh, well, you got to fill the screen. You got to have enough stuff in there for people to feel like there's things. Yeah. Anyways, okay, we're going to, we, we could talk about that all night. <laughs> but uh, we can't because we need to continue our night, our deep geek on Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Uh, for those of you who have been keeping up, thank you very much. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, at Free Range Idiocy. Uh, you can also go to freerangeidiocy.com. That'll take you right to our Podbean page where you can download all of the episodes, binge listen to them, uh, and annoy your friends and neighbors. Or you can go to iTunes and subscribe there. Uh, either place you can subscribe, as a matter of fact, and that way you'll you'll get the first you know, little, I don't know, message or something. No, notification, that's what I'm trying to say, of when a new episode comes across. Uh, but So if you've been following, uh, we... You knew that almost immediately when we started this podcast, we started working Battlestar Galactica into almost every conversation right off the bat, whether it made sense or not. So we decided to start going through the seasons and talking about our favorite episodes. So we went through uh, episode uh, season one, 
and we each picked five episodes to talk about, and then we and boy realized, did we talk about them. <laughs> oh, oh, we talked the snot out of we, that. We we you. dissected and then we dissected the dissection. <laughs> yeah, and then we gathered up all the little pieces and kind of like you know like if you if you're if you're having a real if, if it's a little bit towards paycheck day and you have all those little soap scraps and you kind of mash them all together <laughs> to try and make like like half of a hotel bar, you know. <laughs> We've all been there. Oh don't gosh. don't get all ritzy with me. You know, you've been there before. You squish them all together, and you're like, "Hey, I got soap for another three days. That's cool." Right. That's right. Um, you know, you even pull the part that's like down by the drain that you're pretty sure was like, "Ah, hell with it. I'm just mash it together. That's fine. Soap, it's clean. Um, <laughs> it's soap. It's self cleaning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> eh. Oh, good lord. We're going to find out it's probably like the dirtiest substance on the planet. That's nasty. Yeah. Anyways, so uh, we decided the next season, hey, we're going to we're gonna split it in two. We'll do uh, season 2.0 and season 2.5 like they did in the DVD packages. We're only going to pick three episodes each, and we still talked about it for three hours. So yeah, we're now we, on. We, we basically just, I, I mean, if, if, if it was like an audio book, I suppose, you know, I mean. <laughs> I mean, we weren't yes. doing dialogue verbatim, but it was getting pretty close. <laughs> oh, it was damn close. It was damn close. If you had, a, if you had a, I was actually acting out some of the scenes here. I'm glad that I didn't have my camera going. Uh, oh my, my gosh, my Baltar is quite good. I'm just oh oh, just like we're to gonna say. have a Baltar impersonation this episode. There we go. No, no, we're not. <laughs> uh, James Callis like liked one of our tweets. I'm not. I'm not getting on Baltar's bad side. Besides, you know what? Hashtag. Baltar 2020. <laughs> I love that. That's too funny. At least we know what we're getting. Um, so, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. And as, as you can tell, we're on a great track here. We're 20-some-odd minutes into the episode, and we're just getting to our topic. Standing around like a bunch of morons. But, hey, you know what? With a name like Free Range Idiocy, I, I really feel like we've kind of front-loaded this for you. If you're, if you're a little upset at this point, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, here we are in uh, season 2.5, and we are going to do the same deal again. Three episodes, three episodes, and we'll talk about those in a chronological order throughout the season so it kind of makes sense in, in, in terms of story arcs. Mm-hmm. But we're, uh, we're going to try and be a little bit more disciplined about the time and being a little bit more concise. Slacker. <laughs> we all know how that goes. <laughs> So maybe we ought to just start begging for forgiveness now oh, and gosh. save and, and just beat the Christmas rush. There we go. There we go. Anywho, so here we are at season 2.5. And uh, the first episode uh, that of our faves is going to you. Mm-hmm. And it is the second episode of the season. This would be uh, episode 12 out of the entirety of season two. I'm just going to go with those numbers because it's a lot less confusing for me. Uh, and it is called Resurrection <laughs> Resurrection Ship Part 2. Mm-hmm. And our, our little Wikipedia uh, summary, which we've already established, are a little bit shady and miss a lot of big details, but we'll read it anyways. <laughs> so you know you are getting the best possible information. Because we're too lazy to come up with our own. The battle to destroy the Resurrection Ship begins as both Adama and Kane make plans to seize complete command of the military. So what was it about this episode that you like? Um, there, there's a couple things. Um, first and foremost, it, it was the chess match between Adama and Kane um, that was playing out throughout the episode. Um, from, you know, in our last 
episode, I, I believe resurrection part resurrection ship part one, I think was one of the, one of my favorites because of the downward spiral that we saw happen between the, the two, uh, crews coming together. And in this mm-hmm. one, um, you start to see Adama and Kane, um, basically make plans to take action on one another. Um, and basically once this, once this mission is played out, they both uh, are, are angling um, to take the other out to to just have total control of the fleet. It, it's getting to a point where their philosophies and their way of doing things are just at such odds with one another um, that they see no, no other choice but to eliminate the other. Not me! I'm not going to take this! Warner, he's a dead man! Marmalade, dead! Nehemiah! Dead! And so you have Adama tee up, um, uh, was it, yeah, tee up Starbuck to um, yep. take out Kane. And then on the flip side, Kane has her uh, XO. Um, Fisk. Yeah, Fisk, I believe, yeah, over on the Galactica with Adama and, and everyone um, to, to just, it was kind of a weird reason they gave for him to be over there, but he was over there. Well, yeah, the, in case they were boarded. I think was the excuse. Yeah, and he yeah. and he brought a detachment of Marines. Yeah, but but the overall theme of the episode, what, what I really liked about it was the just kind of the the idea of the consequence uh, of of our actions, and and you see it play out in the episode with Kane, um, in what eventually happens um, to her uh, based on um, the the number six copy called I think her name was Gina. Um, you know, she ends up, uh, you know, she ends up taking out Kane, uh, toward the end of the episode. Um, it, it's, it's not the, the plans that Adama and Kane make. In fact, you know, once the mission is done, they call it off on, on one another. Um, but for, for that character, you know, Kane allowing the abuse that happened to her ends up, you know, paying the bill, so to speak, um, when, when she takes her out, um, mm-hmm. you have Adama who, like, like we're never really dialed into why Kane calls off her side of it, but Adama has an interesting conversation with Sharon about really what it means to be worthy of surviving. You know, like she, yes. she calls back to his speech he gave when they were going to decommission the ship and yep. that kind of rambling speech he gave where he calls into question the choices that they've made as a race. You know, when we fought the Cylons... We did it to save ourselves from extinction, but we never answered the question, why? Why are we as a people worth saving? Yeah, maybe maybe that humans don't deserve to survive. Yes. I thought that was so great. Yeah, and, and, and it was such an, an, an interest, and it was interesting coming from the Cylon, you know, that she's the one kind of playing the, the conscience for him to some degree. Um, and then, you know, he has a great line, I think it's toward the end of the episode where, um, let me find it where, uh, he's, I guess he's talking to Starbuck. I thought he was talking to president Roslin, but anyways, uh, he says, uh, I think about what we talked about before. It's not enough to survive. One has to be worthy of surviving. Yes. Uh, And that, that was an interesting point, uh, you know, and just an interesting facet of, of the episode to play out that, that he's now thinking about. Who are they really going to be? If I'm not me, who the hell am I? As a people, you know, in, in terms of what they're doing. And, and, and what's great about this episode and the prior one is it, it really is kind of a ludicrous situation because 
you have these two crews who are basically on the run and things have just gotten so bad that they that they've come to this point with one another that that mm-hmm. it's just a big power grab um and and it's just kind of interesting to see it, you know through the lens of of the the discussion with Sharon and and her being you know, supposedly the machine that has no feelings and, you know, they, they, they feel have, have no worth that they're the ones questioning, you know, their worth in terms of remaining and, and, you know, surviving and persisting on. Yeah. I think it's interesting because it, it really gets down to some of those basic questions and the fundamental questions about, about survival. And it, it also is, it's kind of the twin, it's the, the twin to what, Adama said at the end of the miniseries, it's not just enough to survive. There has to be something to survive for. Right. And it's also not enough just to survive. You have to be worthy of surviving. You have, there has to be some sort of, I don't want to say maybe moral code or you have to, there has to be something in you that is worthy of saving. Mm-hmm. There, there has to be some redeeming thing about humanity that should, that makes them worth the survival yeah, and it, it it's interesting going back and forth with the Cylons with that going back to, you know, on a on Cobol with Six talking about how, you know, your true art, your true your one true ability is murder. Right, right. And and that idea of like, well, what are we? What who are we? What are we? Right. Are we worthy of surviving? Um, and and not really answering the question a hundred percent. Like we're worthy of surviving now or if we're going to be worthy of surviving this is how i have to play this right and and we had talked about in the prior episode um and and i don't want to belabor too much on on part one but there there is you know the 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 series asks really hard questions or 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 puts to the viewer you know the the hard choices that these characters have to make you know the pegasus crew looks to be evil looks to be you know, just very malicious, but they, as we talked about, they didn't have a balancing factor of a Laura Roslin. You know, it, it, it was all military and the military simply dominated and, and that, that side of things just took over. Um, yeah. And they probably thought that they were doing, you know, what they needed to do to survive given those circumstances. And then you have what the, the fleet that we've been privy to, who we've seen, you know, um, uh, go through what they've gone through who have had the balance of a civilian president uh, and, and just how that has balanced Adama and Ty and, and the military to not just be, you know, in war machine mode, but to be in survival mode. Yeah. And that, and that survival, it's that old saying, you know, sometimes the better part of valor is discretion. Right. Right. That you have to understand no, it, 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 there, are, there are times when it's not the right time to stand there and to go toe-to-toe with somebody. Right. You know, not, not, not to go off too far off the reservation, but, you know, like, like an example of this outside of, of the series um, that I've seen kind of play out in an interesting way is I, I watched The Walking Dead. And um, a couple seasons ago, they started this storyline that was very popular in the comic with this villain called Negan. And what was really interesting was when you see the actions of the group that you as a viewer have been following, they basically do a preemptive strike against his group. Mm-hmm. When you look at the two groups and you look at well, the actions of the group that we're familiar with, who's really the bad guy? 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like it, it and I, again, I don't want to go deep into it, but, but that's, that's what I feel like Galactica was asking here is who's really the bad guy, even though there, that we have our moral center and we're not in the thick of this sort of chaos that, that, you know, these crews are in, who's really the bad guy when you're, you're trying to survive. Well, and, and that'll come up in one of the episodes that I'm going to talk about later. That, that whole idea of, you know, who, who really is the bad guy in this situation. Right. Um, and I thought one of the interesting things about this episode was uh, at the very beginning when Kane is talking to Starbuck and mm-hmm. calls in Starbuck and basically is telling her, you know, don't flinch when the moment comes. And if you can almost read that on the level of like in some weird way, like she kind of knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. She knows that Adama's probably going to try and take her out because she's trying to take out Adama. Yep. And and as as different as those two might be, they're still they still kind of have a similar training and and military mindset and know that tactically that is the smart move. Mm-hmm. And despite it all, this is probably the person that Adama would send because right. this is who Adama trusts most besides Lee. She's still instructing yeah. a soldier. Yep. Even though she knows that instruction might mean her end. Right. You know, it's kind of that ingrained. It's it's it was a very weird scene for me because mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if I've read it on that same level before. Right. Or if it had hit me quite as hard. But I thought that was really interesting in that moment. Right. And and, you know, some of those hard choices, those hard decisions. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing is Rosalind's not wrong. You know, like like her read on this situation isn't wrong if they don't deal with Kane. Kane will overrun them. Yes. And then once Kane overruns Adama, she will overrun Rosalind, and then Kane will overrun the entire fleet, and then it will be just the Pegasus again because she doesn't have that, that like she's either lost it or, or she just, uh, yeah, I mean, she's probably just lost that, that filter of civility of understanding that there is more to surviving than just being dominant militarily. And, um, and so it it was just, it it was very interesting on how those layers kind of came into play and how, you know, like I said, we didn't really get Kane's perspective on it for the most part. She, she just kind of, you know, she doesn't call in the X, she calls the XO, but she doesn't, you know, trigger him. And, and Adama, we have some insights into what he's thinking and coming to that point of saying, look, you know, we, we have to be better than this. Um, killing one another has to not be the answer all the time when we have disagreements. And, uh, and so it was just, so for those reasons, I, I really thought this was a really good episode in this half of the season. And, and I felt it, uh, yeah, I, I just felt it was just very well done. The, the, the chess match between the two, um, the, the different scenarios that played out with, you know, consequences because of choices. I mean, even Tyrrell and, and Hilo, you know, getting, um, you know, they got off for what they did, but they were, you know, they were really the, the inflection point where everything went really haywire and um, and just how that played out and how they were able to, to recover them and and so forth. So it's it's uh, I mean, we haven't talked much about the resurrection ship part of it, but I think that that's kind of secondary to the to, to the greater theme, I think, that uh, of this episode. Uh, yeah, although it's it's interesting because there is so much happening. I mean, and this happens with so many Battlestar Galactic episodes. I mean, you can just say there's so many things happening. We haven't even talked about blah, 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 blah. Right. Uh, I think it's interesting, like some of the, the things that I really picked up watching this that 
maybe it's just because it's the third or fourth or fifth time I've I've watched these episodes. But the uh, that that you didn't mention, but again, I understand because there's so much going on. So many activities. Yeah. Um, just the whole the whole cut back and forth between Lee floating. Oh in the pond yeah, yeah. And then him floating out in space. Uh, just that whole idea of like he's kind of adrift, like starting out the episode. Yeah. Where he's just adrift. And then, you know, kind of going back and forth with uh, with him in the pond. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. you know, he's got the hole in his suit. And now, you know, he he can hear the transmissions. Like he could he could actually respond, but he doesn't. Yeah. You know, and then he lets go of the hole in the suit. And basically he's just given up. And at that point, the one thing I noticed that was that was kind of odd was when they flash back to him floating in the pond in the water. Before that, he's had sunglasses on. Mm-hmm. And then in that scene, that cutback, there's no sunglasses. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah. Yep. Which I thought was kind of odd. I'm like, almost like it's like, okay, are you trying to like, are you trying to metaphorically say, okay, now he's seeing clearly now or, or what, what does that mean? Right. Uh, and then I was like, I don't believe I'm trying to do like the 18 layers of meaning crap on this. I hate this. Um, <laughs> But I thought that was really interesting, and then, but the whole resurrection ship thing comes across comes about mm-hmm. because of um, Prisoner Six, Gina, Gina, who essentially wants to die. Like yeah. she gives up the the resurrection ship solely for the purpose of she wants to die, and she does not want to re- resurrect. Right. She does not want to come back. Right. And she's willing to sacrifice that entire ship, all the Cylons on it, the, the base stars, all of it just so she can die yeah and and that whole idea but then baltar kind of handing her you know this whole thing where she's like you know now that it's done you know will you kill me and and he says what you need is justice right right and that ends up leading to of course bye bye admiral kane right oh poorly won't see him no more which i thought was another interesting thing because then of course that doesn't go away like that plays out later on Mm mm-hmm in this series with with Gina, Gina. which we will get to in my ne- in, in one of my episodes as well <laughs> yeah it's 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 just kind of it's another great ep- great example of how they really managed to sow these seeds and then pay them off down the road and and keep going back to them and making the yeah. making the making the story that much richer the the the, you know? the the weird thing though with the Leodama thing is they don't really explain his motivation though for giving up like like Gina's is pretty clear you know, she she has yeah. she has had, she's had the hope beaten out of her. Lee just kind of comes out of nowhere. But I, I was looking at notes on the episode, and and one, one I mean, it's speculation, but one reason was the idea that, um, you know, the fact that Rosalind and Adama sanctioned the assassination of Kane, um, kind of you know shattered his worldview. I, I don't see that for his character being something that would cause him to lose all hope, but it does seem to kind of come from nowhere, you know, in, in some ways. Yeah. Um, But then again, I mean, I think it's another example of, of just the idea of like, there's what's, what's the payoff. Right. Right. What's really going to happen? You know, I, I don't know. I, to me, I didn't, I guess I didn't need as much explanation there Yeah. because I could, I could actually just see like, okay, yeah. Yeah. I I guess I, I guess I could understand like he's thinking his chances of rescue are so slim anyways. Right. Right. Maybe this is just the way it goes. Yeah. Um, the, the the one last thing before we move on, um, I I really did enjoy the very end of the episode. Um, 
you know, oh yeah, we, Adama and Rosalind. We, yeah, we we again see Adama not as the hardened, you know, general or admiral that he is, um, but rather this very, you know, Rosalind at this point is is fading and fading fast. And uh-huh. I just thought it was a really touching, you know, sort of moment for 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 those characters for for him to you know, to, to kiss her like that, uh, you know, very out of character for, for, you know, who he is, but very much in character given the direction he sees her going in, you know, mm-hmm. and, and understanding that this, that she doesn't have, you know, much longer, you know, to live. So I, yeah. I just thought it was kind of a very, you know, kind of touching end to, you know, again, the, the idea that what, what makes them worthy of survival, you know, are, are they able to, compromise are they able to negotiate are they able to work with others um, are they able to love you know and that sort of yeah. thing and so it was, it was very interesting to kind of end it on that note yeah I, I wrote down there my, my note on that was damn those two acted the hell out of that last scene yes they were just so good in that moment oh, yeah. oh it was it was it was a beautiful beautifully acted scene yep and and just the way that it was it, the fact that they they probably had to carve out seconds here and there out of different aspects of the episode to really give that as much time because that is a it's not a a quick scene it they really take their time in that scene and i'm so glad they did because it just gives you time to really to let that emotional impact kind of land mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful and and they're just those those two those two are just so amazing as actors it's it's repetitive to say it over and over, but damn, yeah. those guys were really good yep. in that episode. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's go to our next episode, and this is one of mine. Uh, this one is called, uh, I, I lost track of my notes, my bad. This is episode 14, so we're going to skip ahead a couple episodes here, and this is called Black Market. The death of a senior colonial officer prompts Apollo to lead an investigation into the rampant black market in the fleet. And once again, Wikipedia leaves out a bunch of stuff. Because <laughs> Wikipedia <laughs> is the best thing ever. Part of the reason Apollo is in the middle of this is because he's shacking up with somebody on Cloud Nine. Yes. And that's how he's involved in the black market. Um, but I thought this episode was, uh, first and foremost, another great example of an anti-Star Trek episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we see that you know, we see much less of a utopia-based society and more of a reality-based idea of what would actually be happening in this world given these circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think another example of this is in the previous episode, uh, Epiphanies, they keep flashing back to Roslyn dealing with a teacher's strike. Mm-hmm. And and the teacher's strike being very drawn out, like to the point where there there's talk of like, the, the government might actually be shooting teachers like it's getting to a point of violence yeah which is something you would never hear about in star trek at least like original series or even next generation really shut up wesley you would never hear about any of that um and i thought that was a great example another just a great way that they draw out that and, and make this make it much more of a real world yeah and and not in necessarily a you know oh it's gritty and this and that and the other it's no it, it's just stuff that happens it's just stuff that happens in in real life, and they put it in the show. Yeah. Uh, yep. And then, um, and I love it how even uh, they they even come out and say it. Like Zarek even says later in the episode when Lee wakes up, and he's got the killer dead in the room, and and Zarek is of course on the quorum, and he comes up and he's like, "Did you expect some utopian fantasy?" <laughs> I'm like, "Well, 
okay, it's a little on the nose, but you know yeah. what? I mean, Richard Hatch does such a great job delivering the line. Like, all right, fine, go ahead. I'll allow it. And I and I, the other thing in this is, man, I noticed this at least the first. Well, no, this entire half of this season, damn, it gets dark at times. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are not afraid to dive deep into that darkness instead of what a lot of episode, what a lot of TV shows will do is kind of skim the surface for effect, you know, and they kind of get a little bit of credit for, oh, that was, they kind of went to a dark place there. But they're just kind of, like, they go deep here. I mean, they, they literally are talking about the idea of trafficking children for profit. Yeah. Yep. And you have uh, you have the, the incredible Bill Duke playing a heinous character named Phelan, who is the, who is the chief uh, honcho of the black market. Uh, delivering a great line that is, you can just read so much into the rest of the entire galactical world. He says, it's hard to find the moral high ground when we're all standing in the mud. Yeah. And it's like, damn, okay. Son of a bitch. The the bad guy made a good point. Does he at any point take out a razor and just kind of run it over his bald head? (laughs) Uh... I see you. He was awesome in Predator. He was awesome. I don't care who you are back in the world. You give up position one more time. I'll bleed you real quiet. Leave you here. Got that? Yes. Oh, man. He, well, he's good. he's good in everything. Yes, he is. Like, every time I see him in anything, I'm like, yeah, Bill Duke, baby. Bill Duke. Woo. Um, and such a great name, too. Uh, and, and, of course, that also ties into the idea of, uh, you know, Lee after... You know, he gets he's investigating the black market and he finds oh, he finds Ellen's bracelet and goes to Ty and Ty, lo and behold, says, yeah, yeah, we I traded it for this and that and the other. And, you know, but I'm not the only one. And it's like, I know that you're going and you're shacking up with I mean, let's just call it. It's a prostitute. He's he's paying for her services. I mean, everybody, everybody is, nobody is clean in this episode. No. Nobody. Well, and it's even a little odd because he seems to have some kind of, you know, friendship with her daughter. Well, which comes out because of the guilt of, of, you know. Right, right. Later find out in the episode, he he had a girlfriend and, you know, she wanted kids. He didn't. Now he's, in a way, he's trying to make up for it, which just seems to be another thing. Like, everybody has a secret and everybody is trying to atone for something. Yeah, yeah. Like, like he, yeah, he's projecting... And and we see it cut away to, you know, little blips of that memory, and and as the episode progresses, it gets more and more, you know, intense, and and you kind of get a better idea as to what happened. But yeah, he's definitely projecting a, a future that he refused, um, way back when, you know, and and is kind of projecting it now on, uh, on on this on this call call girl and her and her daughter. Yeah, and she even, I mean, she even, you know, kind of calls him out on it, like. This isn't what, you, you know, and I think this is towards the end of the episode, but, you know, this isn't what you think it is, and it's it's never going to be, that sort of thing. And it, it's like, man, again, it's just, it gets to this real kind of dark and real place. Yeah, I, and, and, and I think it goes back to what, what you brought up with, um, you know, with Adama's initial speech, right? It's not enough to survive. You need to have a reason to survive, right? Yeah. And we see we see it in this episode with how like I think this is one of the ways that he's trying to cope with with whatever depression is going on with him, you know, post the, the, the resurrection ship battle and not to jump ahead to your next episode. But I mean, that ends up being a theme that plays out with Starbuck 
you know, mm-hmm. with, with, you know, having, having a reason, you know, to live and to, per, you know, to persist and to not just be reckless, you know? Um, yeah. in, in this case with Lee, I think he's trying to find a sense of purpose and, yeah. and he's projecting that into this woman and her daughter. Well, and he's looking for some kind of comfort. I think he, I, he just, he, I mean, all, I mean, imagine if you're in this situation, everyone is just struggling for some kind of normality. Yes. Just to find something that feels somewhat normal or something like what you used to, like what life used to be, even though you know it's never going to be like that, you know. Right. Which, which then, of course, it really becomes kind of uh, in the forefront uh, towards the end of this, ep- uh, end of the season, uh, which, hey, we won't spoil it, at least for another, you know, 25, 30 minutes. Uh, but, <laughs> the, it, you know, that idea of like just try and find that whatever could be normal now. And and finding somebody to love or finding someone to at least pretend that you love or whatever, right, whatever that right. is. Because, I mean, who knows what's going to happen five minutes, five days, you know, five months from now. And uh, and it, but it also goes into it's so weird because, you know, you get the two sides of Lee Adama. You get the whole you get the romantic, you know, optimist, uh, you know, kind of. um you know, he he just he has he sees the upside. He has a very optimistic view of the world, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and that things can be better. Uh, but then there is also this very re, uh, there's there's a very black and white Lee the realist. Right. That you know what this is the situation. This is how we're gonna do it. And you saw it back with with Zarek uh, on the Astral Queen, again the most unfortunately named <laughs> ship in the colonial fleet <laughs> that's nasty and uh they and 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 acknowledging like no this isn't right and we will have elections and because this is not the way it should go right right and and even Rosalind being kind of cheeky at that point being like well he's your son you know <laughs> and, and oh man but that kind of gets flipped on her because you know in this point at this point Lee the realist after after seeing like Lee the romantic like trying to 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 make things right with this woman, even like offering to take her to Galactica, and and to protect her and all this. He goes in there and, in cold blood, he kills Phelan. He kills the head of the black market yeah. in cold blood. Just shoots him right there, in front of everybody, mm-hmm. and then immediately acknowledges, the black market is going to continue. It's a necessary thing. It's always going to be there. Here's how it's going to work. Yep. Yeah, and he sets very clear parameters with him. Like he, he he addresses you know a couple of the darker themes around the exploitation of of the children, um, yep. and and of the holding back of medicines, yeah. um, and that kind of thing. But yeah, he he yeah he, he basically just rather than eliminate it the way Rosalind wanted to, you know, and that was one of those points where Rosalind was in the wrong. You know, she yeah. She she didn't. Well, fully I mean, under- they're all in the wrong. Yeah, I mean, honestly, everyone's in the wrong here. Well, Again, it, it, nope, it goes. Everyone's down in the mud. It, absolutely, it goes back to that line you said. You know that that from Bill Duke. You know, it's everyone is truly in the mud. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the moment where you know when Lee goes and and basically says I we're monitoring it or something like that. Right. And Rosalind is pissed. Oh yeah, she is. She's a level of pissed that Adama was when when Lee said there was going to be elections. When Rosalind was like, "Haha, that's kind of funny." She's wanting it? to put something out of the airlock. I'm thinking at that point. Oh, <laughs> I mean, in a heartbeat. Oh, I'm thinking. Yeah, she'd really like to at that point. But I, I it's it was just so, it's such a weird idea of you know those two things coexisting with that character. 
And it really is. Lee Adama is is a person of extremes. Yeah. He really is when you yeah. when you start coming down to it. And it's not the same extremes as Starbuck, but they ver- they are kind of similar. They're just on different they're on different roads. Yeah, he, you know he's, what I mean? he's not as reckless as she is. She, she's she's more of a kamikaze sort of person. And he's, um, I, I think you make a really good point. I think he starts the episode in more of this fantasy land. And by the end of the episode, he is, he's the realist. And he's, mm-hmm. he's basically brokered a very real, you know, kind of boundary-oriented deal with these guys to make it so that they can continue doing what they're doing but within very strict parameters, um, at which point they will be eliminated. Um, and yeah, and they just watched him take out their leader, so it's like you know I'll do. Well, it. He, he takes out the leader. He's the son of the admiral of the fleet, which means, and he's one of the best pilots of the fleet. So they're they're screwed if they you know take him off you know one way or the other. And I think you know the, the icing on the cake is when he takes out their leader. Yeah. So so one other thought I had um, or question I want to yeah. ask you about this. You know, everything, a lot of this takes place on Cloud Nine and then on this Prometheus ship um, where a lot of the black market shenanigans are happening. And the Prometheus actually, the, when I first saw it this time, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the Dirt Mall from Mall Rats. <laughs> just, to, just to tie in another Kevin Smith reference. That's right. That's right. Um, but, but what's interesting, and it was, it's something interesting you said at the beginning of this, um, when you, when you're talking about how everyone's kind of holding on to their past or, or, or a little bit of a sliver of the reality they used to live, yeah. it, it definitely seems like in this episode and prior episodes, cloud nine is kind of the last vestige of what they once had. You know what I mean? Like it, it seems like this fantasy land, this welcome fantasy, island. this place they go to, to relax, to have some drinks, to, um, you know, for recreation, for clearly for certain recreation that Lee was getting involved in. Um, <laughs> but 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 uh-huh. but you know what I mean? Like, like, it seems like it's just kind of this place. And I, I find it interesting because especially when we get to um, one of my episodes, when that goes away, how and, and I think we'll come we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this again when we start talking about, you know, season 3.0, mm. how that impacts you know, the fleet, how that impacts morale. I mean, once you take that last vestige of once of, of normalcy for them away, how, how does that impact things? You know? And, and it it was just interesting because whenever they've shown cloud nine, not just in this episode, but prior episodes, it just feels like a very normal, you know, Caprica kind of place. You know what I mean? Yeah. I never, you know, I never thought of it that way. That's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. We'll have to, I yeah, keep that in mind. I want to talk about that more a, a little bit when we get to that when we get to that episode. Mm-hmm. Yes, that'll be interesting. All right, let's move on to the next episode because we we want to somewhat keep ourselves moving here. Under two feet. So the next, uh, well, <laughs> keep your fingers crossed, bud. One can dream. Yes. So uh, the next episode is another one of mine. Uh, so it just sort of worked out that the middle section of this is is all mine. It's all mine. It's Todd show. Yeah, it, dear Lord, help us all. Slacker. Uh, so the next one on my list uh, is episode 15, which is Scar. Great, great episode name and great character name. I'm surrounded by idiots. A Starbucks mental state is in question as Galactica's fighters are hunted by a veteran Cylon raider known as Scar. Now, 
I thought this was almost almost like Marvel taking a B-level character like Iron Man and spinning a whole universe around him mm-hmm. in that the writers managed to take a char- to make a character to create a character out of a face out of a faceless robot space plane and it's compelling <laughs> i mean it is damn compelling i mean scar is a real character mm-hmm. by the way that the the other characters talk about him by the way that they refer to him and the way that they build him up i mean you really don't even see much of scar through right. most of the episode until really kind of just the cutaways with with cat and starbuck and scar Otherwise, you don't really see that much yeah. of of him. It's it's all the the stories, and I and I love the idea of Starbucks slipping mm-hmm. um, because it really makes it really allows us to dive into her psyche, and it makes the character in the show more interesting because it's it's not just this like a like gung ho pilot who's never afraid, you know, that one dimensional kind of always a hero sort of thing that. Was uh, would end up being really boring, yeah, in a lot of instances, but it really makes her multi dimensional. Like, she, uh, you know, she is messed up on so many levels, she is like so good at some things, mm-hmm. but she is really bad at a lot of things, yeah. Um, and 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 in the episode, I mean, she's like uh, trying to hook up with Lee, and it really just demonstrates this whole idea of like she can't deal with the living or the dead. She doesn't exist in any world at all. Mm-hmm. She is just kind of unto herself. Like she is, she it feels like she is only visiting. She's a tourist in the world of the Galactica at this point. Right, right. And I think it was also it was really good in this episode uh, how the writers used the destruction of the resurrection ship to kind of shrink the entire world. So there's no more. You know, it, it gives you a reason why the Cylons have kind of backed off. And you can kind of you can kind of make things small for a little while because the the silence kind of have to regroup because they can't just throw numbers right at the colonials right. anymore. Right. That was their greatest asset, and they just can't they can't they probably could do it still, but in some machine way they're making the calculations like that's not a smart move. Not until we figure out exactly what in the heck we're doing. Well, and and what I think is interesting in this episode is it also highlights how much more deadly the Raiders are becoming now. You know, I mean, I know this is the, like there's a, there's a laser focus on this one, but when you consider what it's doing, it is, there, there is no, I mean, we, we learned basically that they're able to resurrect. I mean, the Raiders are able to, to transfer their, what they've learned um, as well, you know, through their experiences. Mm -hmm. But now that that's eliminated, now you have a Raider that is thinking more tactically, more strategically. Mm-hmm. And when you see the way that it, it pursues Starbuck and Cat, it's using the environment. It's using, you know, a bit of their uh, a bit of their hubris in terms of, you know, them just flying their, their patrol and, and not really, you know, paying much attention to danger areas. I mean, Starbuck seems a little more key, keyed into it, which would make sense as being the veteran pilot than Cat. But um, but what, what I found really interesting was just how they portray this this ship as just being just you know ruthless and and not having fear i think the idea uh, of adding in there that resurrection is painful mm-hmm. that, the, that the entire thing is traumatic right and that you, especially when you start thinking about what the raiders are and they're talking uh you know back when they had the the raider on galactica and sharon was talking about it you know maybe it's more like an animal 
you know, maybe it's more like a, a trained animal or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of of an animal going through that process. I mean, as, as we see, you know, and I don't want to steal the thunder from from your episode down the road here, but once you start actually seeing how the the Cylons are reincarnated or, or downloaded and resurrected and all that and, and that process. I mean, it's 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 confusing and difficult for them. Imagine what it's like for these raiders. Yeah, and it just—I mean—the idea that the raider is just pissed, is just pissed off, going through this over and over and over again, and, and right. it's developed like just this this mean streak. Is it? It's kind of interesting, and it, and it's a, it's almost something I kind of wish that they'd done a little bit more of down the road. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that idea could have come back a little bit more, but. Then I can also see that being a rabbit hole that you could you you might not ever see the bottom of it, right? And you could right. just you could lose episodes down there. So I kind of understand that. Of course, you know. Then you have the of course the whole idea of now it's now it's basically Starbucks' turn to have that. I got nothing to I got nothing to lose. I got nothing to live for. Mm-hmm. Kind of moment and and kind of getting you know getting shaken out of it. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. You know, at the very last second. And and letting Cat get the kill and all that, um, I thought one of the 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 parts at the end of this that I I had kind of forgotten was really well done and and not overly done but just done really well. I felt like it was just note perfect. Was uh, Starbuck reciting the names of the pilot at the end? Yeah. And and how early in the episode she claimed I don't even remember I don't even remember them. Yep. Yeah. And then she and if, and then she stands up. After she's served Cat, and Cat kind of has that smirk, like, "Yeah, I'm the, I'm the, t- I'm the top dog now." And then Starbuck turns it, turns it around completely, mm-hmm. and just changes the entire tone of the scene. And I thought that was so amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then of course, then the other, the other one that I just loved because we've we've talked about Hilo is just such a punching bag. <laughs> but, oh, poor my. guy. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to describe this guy, but I mean, just the fact that it winds up with with Hilo and Starbuck having this kind of just nice, happy moment, and I I just I wrote down as like winds up with Hilo is that poor some bitch finally gets a well deserved happy moment out of all just the crap he deals with. Yep. He he finally just gets a moment where he can laugh and kind of joke around. I'm like, ah, ah, I'm so happy for Hilo. I mean, I know he's a total fictional character, but it's like. I feel like if I ever met um what uh what, what was it Tamo, oh I can't I can't remember his last name right now starts with a P yeah but uh, if I ever met the dude I'd just be like dude just bring it in bring it in I just I feel like you just need hugs <laughs> <laughs> you just need hugs man Tamo like Penniket okay thank you I I just feel like he's after all those all those episodes it has to have an effect on him even though you're just playing a part like right damn my character just gets crapped on all the time. <laughs> you know, that's one of those things. You're going to see him one day in a mall, and you're going to just go up and give him a hug, and he's going to be like, security. Yeah. <laughs> Either that or he's going to be like, thanks, man. I need that. <laughs> it's been haunting me for 15 years now. So I appreciate so, that. So uh, one question I have for you, because I, I got to thinking about this as I was watching it. Do you feel like they invested enough time in season one to – have it be believable that Starbuck was that in love with Anders? 
Because I, I, I find myself struggling with that a little bit. And, and some of it is just, I think, because of the lack of air. I don't mean to say airtime, but the amount of time we've seen Andrews with her. You know, like like yeah. we, we saw them play Pyramid and have a moment. We saw them have a moment in the bedroom. When I look at that compared to, you know, the, the amount of time we've seen her and Starbuck have, um, you know, a back and forth and, and just their dynamic and stuff like that. It's just... I, you mean her and Lee? Sorry, her and Lee. <laughs> what did I <Yeah>. say? <laughs> you said her and Starbuck. I'm like, I am so confused oh right now. Oh my gosh! Yeah, bad on me. Um, but yeah, her, her and Lee, and, and and I get the idea is that her and Lee is just not destined to happen. But it's like I I wish they could have sold me a little bit more on on Anders. You know what I mean? I I, yeah. I feel like Anders is just this this blip on her radar, and yet they make him out to be this like rock of her life sort of thing and it's just it's very strange it's like i if she had done this and it was about apollo then i i sold got it well and here's the thing though i think i think the reason that i'm willing to forgive that and i I totally understand where you're coming from and i think if it were a different character i could agree uh because i can i can totally understand um your your reasoning and, and and it does feel like there, there wasn't enough there. However, I think what does make it different is that you do have, you've built the Star Tre- the Star Trek, <laughs> Starbuck character. Damn it, I'm catching it from you. We're we're, um, we're both on fire right now. <laughs> Shut up, Wesley. Ooh, um. Anyways, nobody. I need to edit Beam that because nobody needs to the hear that. Red shirt. Yes. Cannon fodder. Lieutenant Cannon Fodder, take him with me. <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant Cannon Fodder, love it. Ensign Dead Meat, oh. you're with me. <laughs> Man, I told you with that name, it's only a matter of time. Oh, God. All right, uh, anyways, but I, I think they did a great job of, of really showing Starbuck as a character mm-hmm. in that first season and who she was. And Because uh, at one point, I forget, wasn't it... It was like colonial day or something, and she ends up sleeping with Baltar, right, right, and that sort of thing. Like this, it just kind of. I'm not trying to say make any judgments on morality or anything. I'm just saying that it shows that that Starbuck is a passionate character, mm-hmm. and she follows her passions wherever those wherever those take her. Whether it's whether it might be into like going shot for shot with somebody mm-hmm. in the ready room. Mm-hmm. You know, over a, uh, or or getting into a fight over a card game, or it might be going to bed with someone who she really doesn't know that well. She that's that's who she is as a character, yeah. and it partly has to do with some of the stuff that's happened in in her past, right? And and just who she is, who she has been as a person, and formed by her experiences and upbringing and all that stuff. Anyways, but I think the idea of that happening is it would be ab- kind of abnormal with any other character except Starbuck. Right. With Starbuck, I can totally believe that would happen. the The idea of it being, if it were like D, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that totally doesn't make sense. Right. Right. If if it were Lee, especially, it wouldn't make sense. With Starbuck, right. totally makes sense to me because of who she is as a character and who we've who she, who we've seen her be. That I'm like, yeah, I could see that. I could see her like latching onto that. Right. Latching onto that person, yeah, totally. No, and, and 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 I do think that makes sense. I mean, I think 
you know, I mean, you brought up D, for example. I mean, I think the Lee and Duala buildup was over a lot of time. And so when it got into them, you know, eventually getting together, that made a lot of sense. You know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't kind of out of the blue. I felt the Anders thing a little bit more. But like you said, I think Starbuck has consistently always been portrayed as this, you know, kind of wild card who, like you said, she follows her passion, you know, and um, and, and really in the point of this episode was really about her, you know, similar to what we talked about in the prior one with with Lee was her finding her purpose, finding her reason to survive and, and coming to that conclusion in the midst of battling this, you know, ruthless and, and, you know, as Sharon put it, you know, very hateful raider, you know, that was going yeah. after them. Like, like, I, I really like the description Sharon uses, like he hates you and he and, and the hate is just building every every single time um, that he takes one one of you out. He's just, yeah. you know, that's just what his purpose is. And so. Um, so it was really telling at the end when she talks to Hilo and basically says, you know, I, if, if I had, if I had taken Scar out, I would have, I, I would have killed myself. Um, mm-hmm. like she recognizes that. Um, I, I still struggle. I, I'm going to jump around a little bit, but I still struggle with the character of Kat a little bit. Like I, I, yeah. I, I get the idea of her supplanting Starbuck, but the way that she is portrayed in the show gosh, she really grinds on me a lot. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I get well, it. I think that's on purpose. Oh, I, I, I know it is, but it, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, it's just, I, I hate to see Starbuck taking one in the jaw from her because she just, you know, you remember her character from season one being, you know, the nugget and, uh, <laughs> yep. and, and, and you hate to see like, like, and we've talked about this before. I, I think a lot of thing, a lot of, this show is breaking down characters down to, to their core and then building them back up. And, and, you know, clearly in, in this phase right now, Kara, you know, Starbuck is being broken down to get to the point of understanding that, you know, that she does love Anders, that she has a purpose and that she needs to, you know, as good of a pilot as she is, that she needs to, you know, conduct herself in a way that she's going to be able to see him again um, yeah. and not be, you know, the kamikaze that she's been in the past. I think the interesting thing, though, is if you look at Cat, Cat is actually, in some ways, well, not really more professional, but she's managed to. She had that breaking down of character, of course, when you know she was, you know, trying when she was taking the stimulants, trying to still make patrols and all that, mm-hmm. and now she's out of that, and she she's kept accelerating, and 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 Starbuck is is in the process of falling apart but not in a real quick way. Right. It's almost like in the uh it's almost like when you when you have those NFL teams that are just in salary cap hell forever. Yep. And they just can't get out and they keep throwing good money after bad and then there's those teams that just decide, "You know what? We're going to take it on the chin this year. Next year is going to probably still be a disaster, but the year after that we're going to be a little bit better and the year after that we're going to be good." Yep. And that's kind of what Kat did. Like almost she she had that, not that she chose to have a complete breakdown, but because of she bottomed out there, now she's she's actually just kind of turned things around. She keeps getting better and better and better and better and better. Yeah. And there's Starbuck who's still in this process of kind of this slow disintegration. Because, I mean, she's still not. I mean, even though she's still you know kind of better at the end of this episode, it's not over. Right. <laughs> it's not right. over by a long shot, right. you know. Um, so anyway, I think that's interesting. So moving on to the next uh, episode is uh, 
episode 17. This is one of mine. This is the third of mine, actually. Uh, this episode is called The Captain's Hand. The summary reads, Apollo and Starbuck struggle with the overbearing new commander of Pegasus as Rosalind makes a decision on a very hot political issue following the arrival of a stowaway on Galactica. Now, the interesting thing is that we start right off at the beginning of this episode with, uh, with D and Lee, which is just just weird. Uh, let's just say D and Apollo, because yes. I can't say that over and over. Uh, and, and they seem to be doing quite well. A month after uh, Dee's last boyfriend, Billy, was killed in a hostage situation. Um, she moved on quickly. Man, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It was sort of like, oh, that's too bad. Anyways, uh, I mean, poor Billy. Poor Billy. Poor one out for Billy. I, I, mean, I feel I... That's something that doesn't sit well with me either. I I feel like they they built up that Billy Duala thing and then they just ripped the rug right from underneath us. Well, they needed a moment, and the thing is, it's like everyone else in this show has survived being shot, and and you know shot out of planes and shot down and parachuting on other planets. Billy takes one bullet, done. Gotta go, gotta go. That's it. The writers decided it's your time. Yeah. In the meantime, like Lee is laying, Apollo is laying over there. He got shot. He's going to make it. Billy gets shot. Mm, no, screw you. You're done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your contract's up, kid. Yeah. Gee, I don't see me I don't see my name in, a, in any call sheets past this other this one episode. What what happens after that? Yeah, uh Mr. Moore would like to see you. Got to go, got to go. <laughs> Dang it. Uh, uh but I mean, so they seem to be doing quite well. And of course, uh this is also dealing with um with Rosalind struggling with the issue of abortion, mm-hmm. which again is another, I mean, you did, they did not need to, to even approach this topic. Mm-hmm. Right. They didn't have to, right. but yet they did. And I can see why it, it does make sense. Like this whole idea of in the colonies, abortion was legal, mm-hmm. or at least it was in a, actually, no, it did. It seems like there was one set of all laws of them, but I think Ge- Geminon, I think was the one where it was banned. Uh, I don't know if it was banned, or, or, but I think they, or there was a they. Yeah, it was it was a religious objection to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they they were not happy with that, but it was legal, and and Rosalind is is pro-choice, uh, pro-abortion, however you want to say it, mm-hmm. and, but now you're in a totally different situation where it's like, hey, there's there's less than fifty thousand of us. There's fifty thousand of us, just for round numbers. Can we really af- afford as a species to be doing this? Um, just in the just in the interest of, you know, survival yeah, of of uh, of of um, genetic diversity, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. And I think th- wasn't it this episode where um, oh my gosh, I think it was where Baltar goes into the whole idea that within like fifteen or was it fifteen or fifty years that the human race would just basically peter out. There's not yeah. a there is that if they keep going at this rate. That it, the human race cannot survive, even though even if they survive and they find an, a habitable planet, there's not enough people reproducing quickly enough in order to make this work. Yeah, I, I think one of the show notes um, says some, that he when he adds in the crew of the Pegasus to his calculations, the result of the end of the human race within 18 years at the current attrition rate, which is I mean, it just it really kind of taking an issue that is is such a hot topic. Mm-hmm. in the real world right and is and is a hot topic in this situation but also approaching it in a very different way like yeah this is this is there's 
you know, morality, there is ethical concerns, there's religious concerns, there's all this, but there's also just simple math right, right. Of, of this situation and framing it in that way and allowing them to talk about it in a different way, which I thought was, was really interesting. And then, of course, you have that, you have the moment in uh, the Galactica Infirmary where, uh, of course, the stowaway is a pregnant girl who is coming to Doc Cottle for an abortion. Mm-hmm. And Cottle mentions that the pregnant girl could ask to seek asylum on Galactica. And, of course, he says it right in front of the girl who had not thought of that. And Adama looks at Cottle, and, and the way that I described it is it's the patented Adama, if I could set you on fire with my <laughs> eyes right now, I would look. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, just that, like, it, it, it's like when his gaze just shifts into, like, six gear and he could melt steel. Yep with his eyes and Cottle just kind of scurries away. It's like the one time you really see Cottle back down in a big way. Like, Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, he, he like runs for the Hills immediately. Cause after that she is, she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah asylum. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> and it's almost like, it's like in pirates of Caribbean. It was like, you know, as soon as you say the words parlay, all of a sudden you're instantly saved, Yeah. you know? And then of course the other part of this is Baltar, uh, you know, there's a, there's an election, and Baltar is being persuaded to run for president by by Zarek because Zarek knows he couldn't do it, right. but he's hoping right. that if hey, if I prop up Baltar, I can use him as my little puppet. And then then of course we get into the uh, kind of one of the bigger parts of this is so you have the new Pegasus commander, uh, whose name is Garner, uh, who answers the question. Hey, what if Scotty were completely unlikable, <laughs> and then we put him in charge of the um, Enterprise? Well, it's 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 not even unlikable. I mean, What's I mean, the worst that could happen? No offense to uh, John Hurd, but but I, I mean, he doesn't even have a voice for being captain. You know, I mean, you 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 listen to the Picards, you listen to the Shatners, the Adamas. There is certain gravitas in the voice when you listen to John yeah. Hurd. I hear. Kevin McAllister's father speaking <laughs> from <Yes>. Home Alone. <laughs> yes. Kevin? <laughs> Which I think it was it was actually good that they kept that and that they kind of leaned into that, that yeah. this is a guy who is completely ill-suited. But the but they keep trying to make the same mistake right. of, you know, well, it has to be a Pegasus crew member. And now you've gone so far down the pecking order because, of course, Fisk got killed uh, back in the Black Market episode because he was part of the Black Market. Um, so now Kane's gone, Fisk is gone. The real uh, XO was was shot by Kane way back, you know, before they encountered Galactica. So Fisk was really like second or, you know, or like third or fourth in command. And then you don't know what has happened in between any of their, any of the other people uh so i mean how far down was garner i mean are we literally almost like getting to a roslin point of view on the pegasus where it's like we're now 35th in order of secession and yeah get slappy who's down there working on the ftl tell him to tell him to change his jumpsuit he's now the captain yeah yeah i mean that's really where we're getting to but it also lends us uh gives us a new vocabulary word snipes which is apparently what you call the the dudes who work down in the engine room Mm -hmm. Which I w- I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um. And and this guy is totally out of his depth. He I mean he is he is so far out of his depth. I mean he makes Ty as commander look like Patton. <laughs> Donnie, you're out of your element. 
I mean, he looks like. I mean, it's like it's like watching Eisenhower direct D Day. Yeah, he is so out of his depth. Mm-hmm. It's unreal. Yep. And so of course they they lose some Raptors. Uh, Starbuck is grounded and all this stuff. And in he he defies orders from Adama and he jumps Pegasus away on this rescue mission. And I mean, you see it coming a mile away. Mm-hmm. It's right into a trap. Oh yeah, of course it is. Yeah. Um, and of course they're just getting the crap kicked out of them. Um, and then comes comes his moment of redemption because it's like nobody else can fix this. Um, but the engineer. And he, yeah, but the engineer. And so he leaves a, Apollo in command and he goes down and he fixes a battle star with a hammer and a wrench. And there you have it. That's it. That's all. That's all it takes to fix a battle star, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. A big ass hammer and a fairly large <laughs> wrench. Um <laughs> Which is as close as they ever really get in in Battlestar to that moment where Geordi or Scotty come up with some you know some weird way of saving the Enterprise that's completely pulled out of their butt and filled with techno babble that they're just like oh crap we've got to solve this problem but we only have like two minutes of of screen time to do it right uh, yeah he's going to do the blah 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 the blah 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 and the reverse of the dilithium crystals and you know route it through the non-existent bathroom perfect yeah that's going to destroy the Klingons great. Run with it, um, and that's really as close as they get to that, which yeah. is good. But it it it, it does kind of work because they don't go that route so often. Right. Um, and then, of course, you have at the end of this episode. I love the I love the moment when Baltar kind of like he 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 steps he literally steps right in front of Rosalind, you know, and like kind of supporting, but then not supporting, and then announcing he's running for president. And the whole time you have Head Six in the back doing such a great job Mm -hmm. communicating so much like just these various emotions like she's kind of proud of him she's kind of hurt by some of the things that he says and the muse and all i mean just all these emotions going on trisha helfer's face and she does so great at that absolutely no words and does such a great job as baltar is like declaring himself uh, a candidate for president after rosalind essentially goes against her her own personal convictions and outlaws abortion in the fleet. Right, right. I mean, there, and again, it, there's so much happening in this episode. And oh, by the way, now Lee is the commander of Pegasus. But I forgot <laughs> that. I'm the captain now. Yeah, I mean, at, at the beginning, at the beginning of the episode, he gets the promotion, um, which he doesn't really care about. Um, well, no, that was at the end. Oh, it, he gets at oh, the end because Garner is the because I thought they made him a major, the and then he was, and then once Garner. Dies, yes, he's they do. Put in they, charge they do make him a major. Yeah. yeah, that's right. He he's the major, and he's he's uh, Garner's number two. Right. right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And then I was thinking of his his promotion to commander at the end. Sorry. Yeah, I mean Garner is kind of, you know, of 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 the episodes uh, that we've seen. You know, this one seemed in some ways kind of like Resurrection Ship Part One, where there are those moments when it's a little heavy handed with him. You know, like. You know, he he doesn't like Starbuck. Um, everyone but him sees that he's about to jump into a trap. You know what I mean? It's it's just oh, one yeah. of those things like, yeah, I mean, you said it best. He, he's out of his depth. And, and you know, he, he even monologues for a moment about, you know, engineers and what goes into it and stuff like that. Like, he's very much, yeah. he, he's not able to be operating at a big picture level the way that Adama and, and other, you know, admirals need to operate at you know that that or, or captains mm-hmm. need to oper- operate at he's very much about 
the minor details. And I think what what was what I did find interesting about his character was he can go in and advise and tell people what to do, which is what normally what Adama would have done in this sort of situation. But rather than do that, he just has no faith in any of his crew. So he just goes and, and, and fixes it himself and dies in the process. Um, yeah. Because that situation yeah, he, wasn't necessarily one that only he could fix. He just yeah. felt that he was the only, like he was just a micromanager, you know, and, and yes. he couldn't function outside of that. Yeah, and I think I, they were very heavy-handed heavy in that. But I, I again, I give them a pass on this because I don't feel like they made a habit out of it. Right. And right. I understand every so often you come up against this, like, well, we can't spend two, three episodes of Garner completely screwing up and and, and making an ass out of himself like we, do, we, we did with Tom. Right. Like right. We, he's not that important, and we're probably going to get rid of him. So. Right we need to set all this up in one episode. So we're going to have to lay it on thick, but you know, we don't do it very often. So, all right, let's, let's just do it this one time. Sort of like how he fixes the battle star with a wrench and a hammer. Like we don't, let's not do this all the time, but we need an out. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is a good way to, to demonstrate it. And like you say, it also, even though it makes him a heroic figure at the end, it also really informs you about who he is as a character. He's a micromanager, and he was totally ill-suited to doing anything more than being in charge of the engine room. And even then, right. like you say, this is something that he could have told someone else how to do it and probably done it sooner, or you know, he, he could have done it a different way, and, and he would have lived. Right. Like he, right. Might, he probably shouldn't have even been in control of the, in, in charge of the engine room. Like he, he, this, this guy just couldn't delegate at all. Yeah. But also, maybe maybe you can also read that as he knew it was a one-way deal and that he wasn't going to ask someone else to do that. So maybe that does make him make him a good leader. I don't know. Um, <laughs> because honestly, he did. So yes. that's it. Yep. Gotta go, gotta go! And w- th- so that that's Captain's Hand. Uh, I, again, it's not like, granted, it is, it is not the greatest episode ever, but I really felt like it did advance a lot of the story and it did inform more of uh you know you get a little bit more insight into apollo and starbuck and um and man and I, and, and rosalind i mean i, th- and I, rosalind, I think you're yeah, right totally. I mean, they, they bring a very difficult question to the forefront given the situation and they put it through that lens and she has you know a very you know the entire episode is, is a is a big struggle for her and then to have baltar turn around and flip it against her at the end as he runs, as he chooses to run against her was, you know, you just don't see that coming, you know? And, and so it was just that part of it I felt was brilliant. I I thought it was just a brilliant way to advance his story as being this, you know, you know, he, he's always riding that line between redeeming himself and growing and then being, being that slimy, you know, jerk that led to the entire downfall of his civilization. Yeah. Oh, he's he's always on that ragged line, man. It's uh, and so wait a minute. Now, which which episode was it? Oh, so it was a it was Epiphanies. Okay, so now I just I I need to get it straight in my head. We are into the the Cylon blood Rosalind, where now she's she's healthy. Yes, that's right. Because yeah. because Balt again. Now the thing is a, a little bit even more interesting is Baltar is the one who saved her. So now you have that extra layer of in their relationship. He's the one who saves her. And then at the very end of that episode, Epiphanies, he gets that letter from her that she wrote um, mm. because he would be taking over as president from her where, you know, he, he's his ego gets bruised. 
Yes. Because she calls him out as accurately as she normally does that he needs to keep, you know, some things in check and he doesn't like that. And so it didn't take much convincing from Zarek to to flip, you know, the script on her, so to speak, and, and to and to, you know, announce his candidacy. Yeah. And I thought just to not not to talk about that episode too much because it, it didn't make either of our top three. But uh, I did like that exchange with him and Cottle in that moment when he's about to give her the Cylon, Cylon blood and, you know, Cottle, you know, maybe it's just her time. And he's like, and, and Baltar is like, maybe for once I'm the beacon of hope around here. You know, like he, he kind of knows, like, I am like, I am doom and gloom with a pair of fancy shoes. Well, like that, as, as we find out soon enough, he, he is bad luck on a stick. So, Oh, oh yeah. That's a great way to put it. That is exactly it. Oh my God! Sorry, James. That was that was Tim that said that. That was Tim. Oh, I'm he's still got to in. admit it to. Hey, I I still love the tumbler in uh, tumbler of coffee in Galactica. That that was that was fantastic. I'm still all in. Hashtag Baltar 2020. Hashtag coffee tumbler. <laughs> yes. All right. So next up, we've got episode 18. Yes. Which is called Downloaded. And uh, the summary for this one is Rosalind and Adama struggle to decide what to do with a Cylon slash human hybrid as Sharon goes into labor. Meanwhile, Caprica 6 and Boomer are downloaded and reborn on Caprica. So this is one of your episodes. Yes. What was it about this one that you liked? The, the reason I chose this one for, for me, it was more about the Cylon story. Um, I, I, I don't want to, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the other piece of it as well because there, there was some serious you know, stuff happening with regard to Sharon and the baby. But um, what I really liked about this episode was a lot of it was being told from the perspective of the Cylons. And um, as you had alluded to, we get a, um, a view now into what the resurrection process is like for them, um, how disorienting it is, how painful it is. Um, and then from seeing what Six and from what Sharon go through, I mean, I think in Sharon's case, when she gets... Um, when, when the Sharon that is is basically shot on Galactica in season one, or was it season two? I forget. I think it was in se- yes, yeah two point season two. Yeah. When she gets shot and killed, she resurrects, and you know I, I I love her scene because it's like something out of a horror movie. You know, like mm. she she is not elated to be alive again. She is she is just in absolute horror of what um, you know the fact that she is now come back. And mm-hmm. she's with her brothers and sisters, and it's just not where she wants to be. What what I like about this episode from that perspective is it kind of is a bit of a preview into what they eventually do with that with that episode called The Plan, where mm-hmm. we see a little bit of the world from the Cylon perspective. Like they're basically trying to um, make normal life for themselves on Caprica. You know, it's, it, it's yeah. really kind of an odd thing because there's only you know, what, seven models, six models, I think. Um, and so it's just all of the copies of the models just walking around as if, you know, Caprica was their their city in this, you know, hue of radioactivity that they, <laughs> they've introduced to the to the planet. And... Um, yeah, it's just a little tense. You know, it's just a little bit. Um, but, you know, but but the fact that they're they're trying to you know, basically replicate or, or live life as the humans did on that planet was just kind of interesting. And it, you know, for me, the question that came to mind that, that, that I found interesting and wanted to get your take on is I feel like this episode starts to ask the question is, 
not just because of the physical impact that we see happen to the Cylons when they resurrect, but is resurrection essentially their undoing in the long term? Because you go from like, like, like we get a sense that they as a group at one point were very uniform and, and, and the number three, um, what's her name? It's Lucy Lawless. I can't think of her character's name. Oh, Deanna. You know, Deanna basically says this, that they are celebrities in a culture of uniformity. Yes. And what I, what that got me thinking about is, is resurrection for them actually worse because the more they experience, the more they, you know, especially for six and for Sharon, where they were very much embedded in human culture, are they becoming more of an individual based on their experiences? So when they resurrect, they have a very different perspective than, than the copies that do not have that sort of experience. You know what I mean? So the more you resurrect, the more individualized you become, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, I would, I would totally agree with that. And I, I think that's the danger in any type of, any type of, any type of environment that relies on uniformity and, and any type of, any type of organization or group that relies on total conformity and, and uniformity resistance is futile in purpose and in, in almost in action and, and in look is once you have somebody who's been around long enough and starts understanding how things work a little bit, they're not going to do things the same way that everybody else does, even if it's subtly different, you know, right. and, and that's just a function. That's just a function of, 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 of humans and it becomes a function of the Cylons because they just keep adding layers. You keep on adding layers onto what's been going on. Right. Right. And the, the fur the more layers you add, the further away you get from that original programming. Right. And yeah, it's it, it is really interesting that that whole thing that was supposed to make them better than humans kind of is their undoing. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, Sharon, you can clearly tell Sharon, even though her programming kicked in and she shot Adama, she, and, and even the, the, the copy that eventually re-embeds itself, you know, in, in Galactica and the crew and all, you know, she feels very much at home with humans, you know, and, and she's striving to be more human-like. I think in one of our earlier episodes, I mentioned this, that each of the models seems to exemplify a certain characteristic, you know, and, and for Sharon, it, it's always that that reaching for humanity and trying and convincing herself she is human, you know? Yeah. She's, she's data. Yeah. But basically she, yeah, that, that's a really good way of putting it. She, she's data, um, you know, like on steroids, basically, you know, she's, you know, she is human. Um, and with a ponytail and with a ponytail. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't know why I felt compelled to fill that in, but I just, and, and, I really and, just, and apparently I just, I wanted it, one. So. <laughs> I, I wanted one more differentiating factor. There you go. I could have gone with like non weird, sparkly eye. Yeah, know, like the those weird. That it was the weirdest thing about Data, aside from the fact that like the the gold spray paint foundation. It was the eyes. They were very cat like. Yes. You, you ever look at the look at the? I'm like, Watch the trailer for the new Picard series because he oh he, he makes my. an appearance and they're even more cat like in that one. <laughs> Oh my gosh! I cannot wait to watch the snot out of that. Oh, dude. podcasting uh, episodes coming, my friends. <laughs> oh, that is going to be so. Because that is that's a that's next month, isn't it? Oh, maybe it is. Ooh, I think it's October. Oh, I thought it was January. It was coming out. Is it October? I don't know. You go ahead and finish what you're talking about. No, that's okay. But but in in the case of the number six model, you know, the one who um, 
you know, and, and we find out, you know, she spent a couple of years embedded in Caprica with humans. You know, she comes out of this and for the first time we hear her utter the words of regret for what they've done to the humans. Like maybe they were wrong in the way they went about annihilating them and starting to introduce the idea of, um, you know, a different way was yeah. was really interesting, you know, um, because now we're starting to see them not, you know, in season one, you know, especially the, the very, very first scene in the miniseries when she walks down that hall and she kisses that ambassador person or whatever, you know, whoever that is, that delegate, and, the, and yep. then that ship blows up. I mean, she seems creepy and she seems dangerous, you know, and, and then yeah. even as that, that episode prog- or, or the miniseries progresses, she just continues to be dangerous and, and just, you know, very secretive, very, you know, ugh. but now we start to see that her experiences have, you know, um, have, have molded her in a way where she's beginning to understand humanity a bit. There, there's the love that she has for Baltar. And that's the other part I've, I've failed to mention is when she resurrects, is the very first time we're introduced to head Baltar. Yes. I, I, I forgot about that. Yes. So now, much as Baltar has been seeing a vision of the number six in his mind, you know, uh, that no one else can see, now number six sees Baltar. And, and it's this, you know, in, in the same way that, that Baltar sees her, you know, she's very... You know, she's in the skimpy dress looking very, you know, it's all sexed up and stuff. And and so he's, of course, looking at his dapper best, you know, in, in her mm-hmm. vision of him. Oh, my. But the fact that, that love has kind of molded her in a way where she's now, you know, she, she wants to reconnect with him. And she wants to, she feels like in, in the eyes of their God that they have done something wrong, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of what they've done to humanity. Um, yeah. so, so for me, th- that's what stood out the most in the episode for me was that, um, because I think it really started to humanize the Cylons and it started to really put a chink into this idea of, uh, you know, a chink in the armor of, of, of this idea of resurrection that their version of it is, is, is imperfect, um, and is actually something that is leading them down a path of individuality, which, you know, there's scenes with 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 Deanna where you can just see the jealousy on her face. You know, it's it's mm. she does not like the fact that they are heralded as these heroes of the Cylon. She yeah. does not like the fact that they are individuals now in in terms of yeah. being different from all of them. She wants them in the fold, and and if they're not, then we're introduced to this concept of Cylons being boxed, meaning they yep. are basically their model is brought to an end. And, and no longer um, allowed to continue. Well, they, it's not, it, well, it can be that, but it, it can also just be an individual, not not the entire model run. Oh, like that, that, all that's of true. The number yeah. of whatevers. Yeah. It can be just that particular, it could be like Caprica 6 yeah. Yeah. is boxed and just an individual Cylon, but it could go as widespread as like that entire model. Yeah. You're right, yeah. Um, which I think is real interesting too, uh, you know, that... They they actually have a contingency for something like that. Like they kind of like know that can happen, and which makes you wonder, like, right? How, the Cylons were gone for how many decades? Like, and they they they've developed to this point. How many different individuals were boxed through resurrection and all that? And they yep. so they obviously kind of know this could happen, right? And well, and, and and I also think too for the amount of time they were gone, and and again, I think 
even now this has cultural significance given our world today too. I think the lack of individuality comes from the fact that they, when, when they were away, and this is just me giving my own spin on this, I think mm-hmm. in their absence from humanity, they lived in their bubble of uniformity. Yes. Right? When, when you don't have anything different to, that, that, that can probe into your world, or if you don't allow anything to challenge your you know, ideals and thoughts and you know, just make you kind of understand why you believe the way you believe and the principles you have, then you, you, know, you, you hear that term that you live in a bubble in some ways. You know? and, and so for the Cylons, I think their absence from humanity put them in a bubble. And then once they started to intrude into the culture, I think that's when you started to see individuality start to take root. Yeah, although I would say that even though they were in that bubble, Obviously, you know, they developed these human-like Cylons. Yes, yeah. And, and that was obviously a, a very fertile period of, of, you know, creativity. So there was that. Right. But then it's almost like being reintroduced into a world with humans, they, they, there was no way for them to figure out how that would affect them. They might have thought they knew. Right. But now there's unexpected consequences. Like the the math doesn't quite work out. There's un there's un unforeseen factors involved now. Right. And and nobody's really sure exactly. They can't they can't figure out the equations because they're not even exactly sure what all the numbers and letters on in the equation are yet. Right. Right. Which is an interesting thing. It's you start almost you know where's a where's a Jeff Goldblum to explain chaos That's right. to us? Can we get him in here? That's right. You know, uh, life. But, uh, 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 finds a way. <laughs> but um, but but you know, we we already saw a little glimpse of this in with the episode you talked about Scar because that raider clearly was acting in a very different way than the other raiders, and so this idea oh, yeah. of experience over every resurrection, kind of molding the copy into its own creation in a way, you know, works against what I think their, their ideal was their ideal being the Cylons ideal of, of the of yeah. uniformity. Yeah. Cause that's, that would be their strength. Right. And that's why, you know, the Centurions, you know, and the Raiders are, are just this, this, wa- this wave after wave after wave of cannon fodder that they can just throw at the colonials. Right. But as we see in coming seasons, uh, not exactly, <laughs> There are Not things exactly afoot. According to plan. There are things yes. afoot. Yes. The 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 one last thing I just want to touch on is is the Roslyn um, Sharon Hilo angle, um, and mm-hmm. and you know again trying to avoid going into a complete synopsis about this episode. Yeah. I think this was a dark turn for her character. Um, I think for Roslyn? for Rosalind because she unilaterally That's saying a whole lot because she's already said to kill Kane. Um, well, she's already but, put how many people out the airlock? Yeah, but 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 there were. No, I, I get what you mean. I'm yeah. just, I just think it's funny that we're describing <laughs> someone who's already done all this stuff. Is like, well, this is a dark turn. Well, really? Yeah, we hit dark turn about twenty episodes ago. Well, I I, I say it that way though, because isn't this the first time though she unilaterally does something? Like normally she does something with Adama's. I don't want to say blessing, but with his knowledge. And in this one, she and Adama, I think are at odds about what to do with the baby. Um, and she decides to take these matters into her own hands and stage the baby's death while handing it off to a mother. 
I don't. I think Adama no, does. Oh man, I I can't remember now that detail. I don't think he does. Um, I think he suspects wow. it, but I don't think he knows it. And and I think that will play out later on because because I mean eventually, you know, Sharon and Hilo get reunited with 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 Hera. But um, hey 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 what? hashtag spoilers. Oh well, okay. I'm just I'm giving you. <laughs> I, th- I thought everything was fair game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no limits, you said. No limits. Um, sorry, sorry. No, no, it's all right. Um, but but no, I mean it was it was just a um, you know I, I mean it, it was it was a well done sequence where you know Hilo and and Sharon you know clearly are are shattered by all of this. Um, yeah. Coddle. I feel like Coddle, you know, kind of shines for a moment as just the the cold doctor. He's like. We did everything we could, but she died, and that's that. <laughs> yeah, like he's he's trying to earn that Emmy for like you know, his, or his his character is trying to like really sell it, and and but he he's still just like he can't quite pull it the off. The award for the doctor with ice running through his veins goes to Doc Cottle. <laughs> just narrowly ed- edging out McCoy. I mean, when you think about it, like it's almost like what if you made McCoy oh older? Gosh grumpier yeah. and let him smoke you get caught yes yes yeah it's a it's a fantastic tradition i believe yes so that was another facet of the episode but but i think it was an interesting turn for rosalind's character and and i think um as we get into the next you know my uh, the last episode um, my third one you know you you see I, I think it's sharon herself i think in the part one of later burdens down where where she kind of gives this very you know prescient prescient is that the right word prediction of there's dark times coming and yeah. and, and, and i think and, and i don't mean just for rosalind i mean i think all of them have this sort of you know push down this very dark path that um that mm-hmm. they're about to go down yeah so before we move on i just want to make sure that all of our listeners know this and i'll 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 admit that well, not admit but i will concede you were correct sir i i was i think i was hope i was hoping that Picard was coming out next month because I just I I cannot wait to watch this. It actually is early 2020, so is it? Okay. G- January, February, something like that. I was I was very over optimistic. I've got a wait list on several things right now, dude. I'm excited for it too. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. Yeah, I I really hope it's gonna be good. I I really hope. Engage. Um, yes. <sighs> and, and you know he's gonna say it. They're gonna build you up know to it. it. They're gonna build up to They're, it. They're going to make you wait through the entire pilot, and that'll be like the last five seconds. Every member of the crew is going to look at him, and he's going to look at them with a grin. Engage. Well, either that they're going to pull the, uh, what was it? Uh, it was Avengers Avengers 2, where at the at the very end, uh, Rogers does Avengers. Oh, and then it cuts away. And, he, <laughs> and he goes, ah, and they, they cut it, and everyone's just like, no! Oh, but man, did they deliver an endgame? Oh, dear sweet mama! Like I'm, I'm okay with that. I like can't if, watch if, that. I, if I, if getting if getting if getting shorted on that one gave us that, I'm good. Oh my gosh, I I watched that. Kevin Feige, you know best. I, I I think I watched that clip like once a week, and every single time, I just it's oh. it's goosebumps. Every single time I watch it, it's just so good, so good. Oh, that that entire. I'm so glad that I that I looked up. Um, because it was a three-hour movie, so I looked up like Avengers Endgame pee break. <laughs> oh my gosh! 
It's a three-hour movie, dude. I got to stay hydrated. I had kidney stones once, man. My bladder is strong like bull. You make sure you drink your water because you don't ever want to have to deal with something like that coming out of something like that. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Good Lord. So I'm a very well-hydrated individual, and I love coffee. So I'm I'm constantly in this process of of basically hydrating and dehydrating. It's, It's a vicious cycle, but I love it. So I I knew I'm like I gotta know when in when I'm okay to 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 take a tinkle in this thing. I know I'm gonna see it multiple times, so I'm not upset about missing like a couple minutes, as long as it's not like a big part of the movie. And I I I read a couple different things, and they all said the same thing: like don't miss the last hour. I'm like, holy crap! Like the last hour? I'm like okay, all right. So I kind of timed it out. I'm like, all right, went running out, came back. I'm like, oh, they were right. Like that yeah. whole that last battle is forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. It just keeps going on and on and on and on. Like it's a movie into unto itself. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Anyways, we that's a that's a different podcast for a different time. Absolutely. So let's move on to our sixth and final episode. This is your third episode. Uh, this is episode twenty of season two point five. Lay down your burdens, part two. The summary is with the election under with the elections underway, Starbuck returns from her mission along with the Cylon who delivers an unexpected message to Adama and Roslyn. So lay us some knowledge on this. One. Yes. So uh, this was one of my top three, um, mainly because uh, and, and we've talked about this over the last couple episodes that this is this is the episode where things really get turned on their head. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's really, uh, I, I think it's a 90 minute episode. Is it 90 or is it, it it's over I 60. Think it is, but yeah, no, this, this, this one, um, a number of things happen, but, but really kind of the, the top three things in the top, the third of my top three episodes, um, for, for, for this one, for me, it, it was really about, um, you know, Rosalind. Actually, can- can I can I just can I just do one thing because I just saw this in my notes yes. and I just I I loved this moment. Okay. Um, do you remember not not to go too far back into to part one of Lay Your Burdens Down, but do you remember at the very beginning of that episode? So they're going to have the Baltar Rosalind debate, mm-hmm. and and Rosalind's preparing and she's doing her whole like she reads a question, she answers it and tears it yes. up, and you know this and that, and Adama. Is just sitting there very calmly. He's like, "Yeah, it's sort of like what my uh, what my dad used to do, go in the courtroom. He would mm-hmm. he would break his pencil and he would go in and ask the court clerk for a pencil. Yeah, and uh, and she's like, "Oh, that's a great idea." And so she takes the pencil and she breaks it. She throws it like her her cards and this and that. And she's like, "Ah, like," and you can tell like this is it's it's like such a weird like nerdy <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> like like it's it's kind of awesome. Yes, yeah. To see Rosalind do that. And and you kind of realize like oh yeah but she's she's kind of like there is very much like nerd DNA oh, yeah. going on there oh, yeah. in that character and and the idea of then she's like well what happens if 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 someone doesn't have a pencil and Adama is very very calmly is like you're pretty screwed <laughs> that's right that's right and then they're just laughing uncontrollably like the whole way to the debate yeah. I just it was such a great moment with those two and yeah. and and Edward James almost oh. The timing on that and just the way he delivered it. Oh yeah. Is and when he and when he really starts laughing in episodes, I just love it. I love it. You know, like just well, the serious Eddie almost Because you don't see it that laugh. often. <laughs> no. It's just it's fan 
fantastic. It is. It is. Uh, so I just want to mention that moment because I'm 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 going through like my handwritten notes and and taking pages down to remember that. I'm like, oh, I got to mention that. Well, Anyways, no, I, but so, but I think that that that's an interesting way to start it off because I think most of this episode is really kind of a a, a character focus on on Rosalind and mm. this choice that she has to make where Baltar is gaining on her. So so. To, to set context in part one, without going into a lot of depth into part one, they discover a habitable planet that, that, that yes. they can potentially settle on. And this mm-hmm. becomes the, the kind of linchpin issue that gets Baltar back into the game of the presidential race. Because up until that point, he was, he was losing to, to Rosalind pretty clearly. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, just to interject, they find it on the, by losing a raptor on their way to go back to Caprica to to rescue the the resistance fighters who are there, Starbuck is leading yes, that mission with the Raptors and Sharon to go right. back there. And and what is it? It's like racetrack and and someone yeah, else. Yeah, they they jump to the wrong coordinates, but in doing so, um, they find. Well, it was two things. They find this habitable planet, and the planet is apparently kind of masked by this gas cloud nebula. Um, yeah. So there's almost like this kind of natural shield that's kind of there to kind of to, to basically hide this planet from the Cylons if they were ever to kind of come into into the the system yeah and so um so with this issue Baltar now has um something that people can really latch onto and it was interesting because it you know it begins to play on the fatigue of the fleet as a whole you know the, these people have been basically in ships for the better part of of a year now since the attack on yeah. Caprica and so when you really think about it, I mean, as, as you know, nice as their technology must be, and, you know, we talked about Cloud9 and, and kind of it being this, like, last vestige of what they once had, there's clearly a desire to get off a ship and kind of be back on, you know, terra firma, you know. <laughs> for, well, and also think about it. I mean, how many, uh, I mean, some of these ships, obviously, there's people who are, uh, people on Galactica and Pegasus, obviously, when they were going on those ships, they they had their their kind of life quote unquote air quotes around that packed up and ready like they they're used to being on that ship and going out for a certain period of time so they kind of have like what the portable set of their life like George Carlin's like you know the portable version of your stuff uh, with them and then they, I'm sure they're on some of these other ships that that are in the fleet the crew members are are used to going on extra long journeys or, or being on those ships for long periods of time. Most everyone else grabbed whatever stuff, like when they showed, uh, when the when the when the people came over the hills in the miniseries mm-hmm. for Hilo and Sharon's uh, Raptor, they're just carrying whatever they could grab, right. and one of them had like books yep. for no good reason. It was just what they could p- what they picked up, and this idea of these are not people who are prepared for this journey. Right. They don't have all this stuff. They don't have any. I mean, they have whatever they could grab, and it's a very uncomfortable life. It's not like they're all on the USS Enterprise, or they're all, you know, they were they were prepared to be out in a ship. Like, there's an extra added layer to that claustrophobia of, I, I this is not what I was at all prepared for. Right. Right. And I think that 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 adds an extra layer to it that they really play well off of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and so for for me to to you know one thing I liked was just that interplay that happens now where Rosalind is faced with the real prospect of losing, um, mm-hmm. and you know she um, 
you know, she, she Which, basically has a confrontation with him where she tries to set aside the settlement on this planet because she deep inside of herself feels like this is going to be a mistake. Yeah. And the, and the thing about that is though, during that secret meeting, I wrote down because she's trying to, you know, trying to play it nice, but I wrote down, I'm like, honestly, Rosalind would totally double cross Gaius. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Yep. At this point in the series, Rosalind would do it, mm-hmm. you know? And the, and the, then the subset of that is that she knows about Baltar and six on Caprica because of, well, the, yeah, when when he refuses, then she brings that up, and he's clearly rattled by that. Like, yeah. but, but he also knows yeah. in the back of his head that she has no proof. Like, oh, totally. This is totally. this is just her recollection, and there's enough of a gray area there that he has nothing to worry about. But yeah, um, but you know, again, as with all things with Rosalind, she has a point. You know, it's it's not that she's against settling on the planet, but she. You know, the the issue at, at hand is they don't really know anything about this planet. They they simply know it's inhabitable. They don't know really is it something that is going to make sense for them to settle on or not. And I think when we jump into the when when we hit the time jump of a year ahead, we begin to see that this doesn't exactly seem like a great place to live. <laughs> no, <laughs> so, but so but so she's trying to be pragmatic about it. You know. Yeah, but another interesting thing to note here is that. I think it play this entire show plays ha- with how easily it is for human beings to get to that point of getting single-minded in survival. Yeah. Of of at all costs. You know, that idea of I will will do whatever it takes kind of mentality for for good or ill mm-hmm. and how that can take you in some really bad places. Yeah. And the idea that that even Rosalind, who who at the in the in the mini in the miniseries was really kind of the Jiminy Cricket conscience of you know the war is over we lost we need to start having babies and we need to run and and this and that the voice of reason gets to a point here where she is willing to just do whatever she needs to do to win right. because in her mind it's the best chance for survival now she may or may not be right. Just as Adama may or may not have been right in some of the times when he's ready to go full force, the same way that Kane may or may not have been right, right when when she stripped her fleet of everything and took the useful people and and went right and left the rest of them to fend for themselves. I mean, yeah, you can make a case, and it's not a great case. And I'm not saying that I'd I'd want to be the one making the case. I'm just saying the case could be made. Mm-hmm. They all got to that point of becoming single-minded, and here we see it happening to Rosalind. Yep. And she's gotten kind of close before, yep. but this is the first time I really remember where it's like, wow, she is willing to do anything. Yeah, she, right she goes over the edge, and the, the justification that, that she provides for it is that Baltar is dangerous, which she's not wrong about, and mm-hmm. she's not wrong about in her pragmatism when it comes to this planet, but... As Adama, who is now the voice of reason for her, so again, you know, we see the the balance counterbalance that that constantly kind of exists with with the two of them. You know, he he brings out the fact that you know the will of the people needs to play out, and whether yep. we agree with it or not is it's really not our call. And 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 it, it's you know what's interesting is you know even though you know she rely I, I I don't recall, but I don't think she understands like what exactly her. Um, you know, her, her campaign advisor, Tori has, has really set up, um, as far as fixing the election. 
But when yeah, she finds, I love her quote where she says, "There's always a backup." Plan yeah, <laughs> yeah. She she she's it's like, got oh my gosh, go. Nixon would have loved you. Yes. Oh yes. Um, but like, and that might actually be a quote from the Watergate tapes. Honestly, that could have been lifted verbatim. Probably, I'm, I'm sure in the show notes somewhere it'll have something like that. Um, but but yeah, they they fix the election. But when Adama confronts her with it, I mean, she is totally you know kid getting. They're, you know, caught with the hand in the cookie jar sort of thing. Like she, she, yeah. you know, there, there's no pretending. There's no her trying to pull a Baltar and, and deny, deny, deny. She, she admits it right away. And, you know, and, and that's when they have the discussion about the, how the will of the people needs to play out. And so uh, Adama yeah. writes the wrong, but, but I love the exchange between Adama and Baltar because Baltar starts to get a little aggressive in, in terms yeah. of things like, you know, he, he wants you know, an inquiry into, into what happened here. And, and Adama just looks at him and he's like, I think you best need to just let this lie. (laughs) Well, no, what didn't he, didn't he say something like you best, I I suggest you take your victory. Yes. Yeah. And go almost like, almost like that moment when he's, when he tells Starbuck, walk out of this cabin while you still can. Yes. Because there, there is, even though he doesn't say anything pertaining to this, there's this look on Baltar's face. Like he knows. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> He's like, yes. I've seen these two together. He must know what she knows. I'm not going to push the, I, I'm not going to poke the bear any further. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's interesting because again, Baltar before he, he, he says he believes in Rosalind's integrity. Yeah. Even though, I mean, like I put before, I think Rosalind would have totally double crossed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and she's fixing the vote, but he's still, believes like no she's she has integrity and and that you know and at the end she does kind of prove that where when she is caught instead of doing the baltar i'm gonna i'm gonna just try to keep weaseling as much as possible she does just okay fine right yeah and and you know what's interesting is that you know for baltar um and and i don't remember in the episode if he fully understands that if she was behind it or not so i don't know if, if his view of her is shattered but it, it is very I, telling for I his... I think he does. Okay, but it is telling for his character to express that sort of view of her. You know, like, even though they are on opposite ends of this election, that he, you know, he, he truly understands her character, or he thinks he does, you know, and knows her. And so, you know, I think for him, like, she's almost like a waypoint of hope for him. You know, like, there are people with integrity um, that, yeah. that I'm, I'm I could, I could see with, that. You know what I mean? I could see that, but I could also see it as he's very sure of himself yeah. and very prideful, and this is who I've assessed this person to be, so of course it has to be right. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that could also play into it as well. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, very, much, that very much could be. And that, and that goes along another moment that I just, I know, because I've, I've got the notes for, for part two here, but I've also got part one over to the side. I just caught my, this caught my eye, and I remember it so well, where, where Zarek, when they were first talking about uh, the planet and, and making the planet an issue. And, and Zarek said, you know, you're a genius. And Baltar just offhand is like, and, <laughs> and I, and I, in that moment I was like, damn it. That's why I love this character. Like, I know, I know <laughs> it just in that one word, he reveals so much of who that character is. Right. Like he's funny. He is prideful, mm-hmm. but he is also, I mean, there is a, there is a, a, a bit of realist like th- yes i am a genius 
That is a fact. Would you like to see the test results? Yes. I actually carry them with me, laminated in my wallet. Yes. But I thought that this episode is just another thing that, and again, because there's so much crap going on, we, and, and partly because this plays a lot in the first part. But uh, Dean Stockwell, oh yeah, coming into the mix here, yeah, Cavill, and he is so good. Yeah, uh, first counseling uh, chief who has this really horrible moment uh, with Callie in the in the first part, yeah. and 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 going through all that, and like the most unlikely, like you know, talking about like you know, God doesn't hear prayers and this and that, you know, the gods or whatever, and and chief is like. What kind of a priest are you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> kind of moment where I'm like, excellent question, Chief. Excellent question. Yes. But then in the second, then we then we realize he's a Cylon. Right. You know, because now we see him with the resistance fighters and, I mean, just that whole thing. And he is just so good in this episode. Yeah. And, 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 and overall in the series. I think he added so much. It was such great casting. Oh, yeah, yeah. He... he and, and he ends up becoming the anchor of, of, I think, the evil, you know, kind of side of the Cylons. But we, we didn't realize it at the time. But when, you know, he's confronted with the other copy of himself, the one wearing the hat, mm-hmm. you know, we don't know this at the time. But when you when you end up watching the plan, you end up realizing that that the cavil with the hat was actually on a pure and just mission of trying to. Um, right the wrong of what was going on, whereas the counterpart where he's not wearing a hat is the one who's just, you know, trying to be a jerk. So, yeah, I love that. I'm not a Cylon. I'm not a. Ah, never mind. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so then, of course, and this is one of my favorite uh, favorite moments in 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 kind of like a, a camera move to 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 show. For effect, I, I think, and that's probably the totally wrong way of, of putting it. And it's why I'm trying to be screenwriter instead of a director, because I don't have that lingo down. <laughs> um, but the idea of when they push in on Baltar, mm-hmm. and he's on Colonial One, they've decided to settle yep. on on Colon- on on New Caprica. Which I'm I'm sorry, I don't mean to take over your episode. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. But I love that moment when he's he's there and he puts his head down and they push in on him, and that's like the one year later. Yep. And it made me think of. Um, one of my favorite mo- one of my favorite moments in movie because I thought it was just so well done even when I first saw the movie and I was not old at that moment but even then I, I knew like not just like oh that was really cool like I'm like that is a really cool way to to do that in a movie that's a really cool technique yeah. hunt for Red October when Sam Neill is speaking in Russian mm. and they push in push in push in push in push in push in and he comes to the word Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Which is, oddly enough, the the word Armageddon translates into Russian as Armageddon. I know it's crazy. That's funny. It's crazy, and it's the one word that is in common. And then as they pull back out, he's speaking in English. And from then on, yeah. all the Russians speak English mm-hmm. on the ship, and there's no subtitles. Yeah. I thought that was ridiculously brilliant at the time. I still love mm-hmm. it. I still watch that, and I'm like, oh, it's so cool because you somewhere mentally your brain just goes, oh, yeah, oh, got it. Now we're translating everything. Perfect. So for some reason, it just makes sense, yeah. and I love how that 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 push in and then the pull out, and now you're like, oh, now everything has fallen apart. Yes, you know, 
and just the fact that it is with his head down. Like I think there's some ways they could have tweaked it a little bit, yeah. but oh, it's it's just good. It's it's really good. Well, the 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 one thought that came to mind to me, and you know, it's just one of those things you think about. So so the camera pulls back, and you see him sitting at this really nice desk. There's this yep. you know picture of him in the background, which I'm kind of like thinking to myself, okay, you're in a fleet with limited resources. So, so someone took the time to create a portrait of you. <laughs> well, I mean, again, it's one of those things that you, you look at you like, that is ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I mean, odds are, I mean, it's not like they had a chance to be like, okay, so the people who are going to go on the ships are these and this and this and this. You're going to get people who are like, hey, what do you do? We need to survive. Uh, I'm a painter. Crap. Yep. You're going to be useless. Yep. Well, until we get a, megalom- a megalomaniac in charge with a you know narcissistic need to have its own portrait painted, yes. then you, sir, are up to bat. Yes. Yeah. I. I well, yeah. and and it, then the then the image behind like we're so used to Rosalind being there, right? And and seeing that just you know behind her is just you know more cabin space on Colonial One. In this case, he's installed some like massive bed. Um, oh he, yeah, he, it's, he has, it's turned into like the the Greg Brady like groovy crack den yes. when he took over dad's office. <laughs> yes. That's what colonial, I expect to see a beaded curtain. Yeah. So, so you, you know, you see he has some lady friends in the background uh, getting ready for the day. Bo- yeah. Bottles follow, you know, f- falling over, uh, you know, he's smoking. Basically, I'm thinking at this point, colonial one probably smells like an ashtray at this point. <laughs> That's nasty. I would say at best, <laughs> it smells like an ashtray. <laughs> I mean, not, we not, won't go into <laughs> we won't go into the olfactory palette that is that is happening there. At best, it's an ashtray. At oh my best, gosh. and I'll, let's just leave it at yes, that. Yeah, I'm just glad. I'm glad that this this episode wasn't broadcast in smell of vision. Let's just say that. <laughs> because when you look outside, you see all those tents. You're like, you know, damn well there isn't good showers. <laughs> You know damn well. Well, and, and you have to figure too. You know, being in a ship and just sitting for most of the day, how 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 the smells must just you know <laughs> just. Well, and Colonial One was a was a was basically like an airline. Yeah, yeah. Think of every plane you've ever been. You've been on a plane where you're like, oh, this this plane smells so fresh. It smells like Irish Spring. No, you get on the plane, you sit down, and it's like as you sit down, like. The last 12 people who have been in that seat, their farts all bloom up at you <laughs> as you sit down in the seat. I, like, oh, that's a, that's a wonderful bouquet right there. One of the best lines uh, from uh, George Carlin, I remember there was this, it was a uh, stand-up routine he did in New York mm, uh, mm-hmm. on HBO, and he's doing this whole thing about- Back in town. Yeah, I have it on CD, sir. Yes. yes. And, he's, and he's doing the whole thing about the airlines, flying on the airlines, and, and yes. just that, that line of his where he's like, Oh, my seat cushion can be used as a flotation device. Just when I need a cushion full of beer farts to float across the Atlantic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but before we go too deep into the one year later, the the the, the one other aspect of this we got to come back to is that Baltar at the end of the day, excuse me, is the reason why one year later they end up in a very very bad situation and 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 yes. that is his interaction with with Gina the other the other number 6 um and way back in the beginning i think in the early part of season 2 he as some token of goodwill i guess um affection, affection. i mean most people would have given like a bouquet yeah. maybe a 
maybe a piece of jewelry, maybe some cavatier. But but but, um, but what yeah, does but what decide does Bal- to give her a nuke? But, but what does Balter do? He gives her a nuke. Just uh, like oh my gosh, Baltar, you're a more. Like I said, bad luck on us. I love is a many split. <laughs> I love is like the splitting of atoms. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and so um, it's highly dangerous and is not allowed by the Geneva Convention. No, it is not. Um, so so before the 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 one year time jump, it it there's this interplay or this 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 jumping back and forth between um, the, the the two of them. Um, having a moment and and him winning the election and then there's a, a shot of her afterwards as she's listening to the fact that he's mm. won and she's sitting there completely you know nude on the floor with the bomb and she sets the bomb off but but the important part of that because and, and not that i think you were trying to do this but i the important part of her being naked because mm-hmm. again yeah the 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 six model cylon of course is you know, very sexual in nature, yeah. a seductress. Right, right. The the fact that she's naked shows that the scars. Oh, right, that she right, has right. From from when she was no, good point. imprisoned on Pegasus and interrogated and abused. Yep. yep. And just kind of showing, like, no, she didn't give up on that whole thing where she wants to die. Right. You know, she didn't. She didn't give up on that. It was just. It was kind of, just waiting for this moment. Yeah. Yeah. And. The weird thing I think is that in that moment, even though she didn't have that same personal relationship with Baltar that that Caprica Six did, mm-hmm. there is some sort of affection there. Yes, yeah. You know that she waited until he won the election, that she got to hear that and then did that. Right, right. A very weird thing, you know. But that was kind of how I read that. Anyway, I didn't mean to take that. No, out. no, no, no. And and. Yeah, so so the bomb gets set off. Now, what's interesting, and we talked earlier about you know Cloud Nine and and the significance it it must have for members of the fleet. You know, we we've heard. I think last episode we talked about how it was described as you know kind of like an airport of sorts, a a place where mm-hmm. there's a lot of ex- almost like a like a luxury one. Yeah, is how yeah I think it, it's almost it. like a, a floating airport. You know, I mean, it just it yeah. seems like it's just this hub of activity um, that that the colonials just migrate to for recreation and for, for just, I think, getting away. And so she blows this up. So she's been, she's been staying there hidden, um, you know, not really making her, her presence known. And she sets the nuke off and completely obliterates cloud nine. Uh, and I believe she ends up taking down like three other ships in the process. And so now that's been removed. Um, and so a year later, um, or that's been destroyed. And so a year later now, um, with Baltar not really doing a whole lot of leading, um, uh, you know, we, we get a view into what the fleet is now doing. And, and what I found kind of funny with the whole view of it is, you know, Starbuck has been basically reduced down to being this, this, you know, she, she just, she's this, um, wife figure now to Anders where she's just running around like, you know, trying to care for him, you know, like, like, yeah. you know, get back in the house. You're, you're sick. You need to well, rest. And, you know, she's kind of like being this, this, you know, mother kind of wife figure to him in, in a way that's just very not Starbuck, you know? And yeah, it, it's like her attempt to have a normal life mm-hmm. and you, and you start understanding like there's some of these people who are just not going to have a normal life. Right. <laughs> like nobody's actually going to have a normal life just because of the trauma they've gone through. Right. 
but but some more than others. Well, and, and, and Starbuck, I would say, is one of them. And the crazy part is when Ty shows up down on the ground, because I think, I believe this is when Adama relieves him. Yes. And he goes down to the planet. And, um, you know, she's trying to find medicine for Anders because Anders has pneumonia. Uh, and they're, and they're mm-hmm. married at this point. And, and she sees Ty. And what does she do? She hugs him. <laughs> Yeah, it's like what 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 planet are we on now? I mean, it's just like like this show. I mean, everything when I say everything gets turned on its head, I mean, everything has gotten turned on its head. I mean, yeah, Ty is not pushing her off there. You know, they share like a genuine moment there. And he gives her, you know, tells her, hey, you know, Pegasus has some medicine you can get, Uh, you know, he's helping her out. And it's just this it's just a very different um you know, kind of situation. You see Tyrrell is kind of leading the, the workers union of sorts. I mean, he's got the beard, the scruffy beard going. It looks like the yep. professorial sort of, you know, union leader and Callie is, you know, there by his side. Tyrrell's gotten very comfy. Yes. Let's just put it that yep. way. He, I mean, maybe it's the coat. Maybe Aaron Douglas just had a lot of pizza <laughs> that season. I don't know. <laughs> oh but, my gosh. But at that moment when I was watching that, and I'm sitting there on my couch, and I'm pretty sure I was watching that episode while I was, like, gorging myself on chili. Yeah, yeah. And as I'm looking down at myself and I'm looking at Aaron on the screen, I'm like, I identify with Tyrrell right now. <laughs> <laughs> not, because of, not because I want to be the head of a union, but I'm kind of feeling about that size right now. Right, right. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. But, um, no, but, but it, it, you know, we, we get this quick kind of view of, of what – all of the different members of the fleet are now doing, or the, the members of the mm-hmm. crew that we're familiar with. Um, you know, uh, Lee is, you know, basically captain. Yeah, commander is, and then colonel is like the second in yeah, command. Yeah, so, so he's commander of the Pegasus. Clearly, in the last 12 months, he's been residing at the same pizza parlor that Tyrrell has been. Oh, um, yeah, they've bellied up to the same <laughs> buffet. So, so, so you have Lee looking a little chunkier than normal. Um, and, and your tweet today was, was just so apropos. It was, it was so funny. Um, hashtag fat Paul. <laughs> and then you have Adama who, who's, who's sporting the mustache now and walking the halls of Galactica, which are very, very bare at this point. Um, you know, yeah. you, you, you get a very clear sense that a lot of people are down on the surface, but when they show the scenes on the surface, like, like I said before, it doesn't seem like a very, pleasant place to live i mean it's habitable but it seems you know cold it seems not very you know warm and comforting it it just seems like they're just trying to you know forge a life down there well look at their other options though i mean some of these people were sleeping on a bunk right in a freighter yep with i mean and it's not like there's a ton of windows it's not like you're looking at you know it's not like the enterprise where you go to 10 forward and right you know sit there and Whoopi Goldberg serves you some sort of thing with dry ice in it. Right. I mean, the, you're, you're scrounging. And, and the interesting part of this, and it kind of brings it full circle, is Rosalind. Because she's she's now back to teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, she's teaching the children. And seems genuinely happy. Yes. Yeah. So even in defeat and relinquishing, you know, the power that she had, she, you know, she seems like she's in a good place. Yeah. And then we get to the you know, the, the influence of Baltar and how he has once again screwed over civilization. <laughs> yeah. The downfall of humanity, not once, no. but twice. And, and that is... The, I mean, damn it, that's a record. That, that, 
You don't usually get to do that. You don't usually get a second swing at that. No, one. no, you don't. And 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 he nailed it out of the park both times. Um, mm. But but the base ships all of a sudden appear. Um, the Galactica is in no shape to to fight. They they don't have yeah the crew ready. They don't have the ability to to really mount any sort of fight against them. Um, and that's when Lee the Realist comes out right. and basically tells his dad, "We're leaving." Yeah, yeah we we have to take the remaining you know, fleet and just get out of here for now. Um, yeah. But in doing so, abandoning the majority of the, re- you know, the remainder of human civilization on the planet. And, mm-hmm. and then in very short order, um, you know, the, the Cylons walk in Sharon, Doral and, and six and uh, Baltar, you know, <laughs> Baltar and true, but, you know, and, and you feel bad for him. Cause I mean, you know, the, the guy has tears flowing out of his eyes, but, but, it's tears because he understands that he's done it again. You know, mm-hmm. they, they talk about how they were in like a star system, not far from that one. And they detected the radiation from the, from the nuke that had gone off 12 months earlier and decided to investigate. Otherwise known as Baltar's love. Nuke. Yes. And hashtag love. Nuke. <laughs> and, and so it's at this point that, I've got to keep track of all these for when I post. I'm going to you fat Apollo love nuke. It's all working <laughs> oh, in there. Good Lord. Um, we will get a couple of these trending. Gonna break I'm, tw- I'm saying we're going to break Twitter at some point. Um, well, it wouldn't be. No. Well, yeah. Uh, but, but anyways, and then, and then the episode, it will just migrate over to Instagram and mess with people. There. Right. Well, and, and, and then the episode ends with the Cylons basically taking over. And, and you have this vision, yeah. uh, or not this vision, but this, this picture of the, the Centurions just marching down kind of the main thoroughfare and just all of the humans just looking on helplessly as they can't do anything. But, you know, Baltar just caves. He, he surrenders right away. And, and now we're left in this cliffhanger at the end of season two with what exactly happens now to the humans, because they're not in any sort of shape or situation to run. Um, are they going to annihilate them all? Are they going to now we, you know, in the episode we've learned from Cavill that they've learned from their mistake of annihilating humans and, and, and would you know, looking for a better way. And, uh, but we don't know what that even means, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. you know, at the time when, when this cliffhanger happened, you're just kind of like, holy moly! <laughs> you know, it's like, where? Oh yeah, this, where is this going? You know, um, you're totally discombobulated. You as as Jackie Gleason once said in Smoking the Bandit, "I'm confused as a baby raccoon." <laughs> I have no idea what that means. I still to this day don't know. I, I'm yep. I am flummoxed by it, but it sounds good. Yes. So so, but I but I would I do have one bone of contention to pick with you, oh, sir. Good Lord. One bone of con- this is this. I, I'm I'm not going to personally attack you for crying out loud. Oh, I know. But my my bone of contention is you said that they're all looking on helplessly, except Chief. Yes. Who turns to Starbuck? Mm-hmm. What are we going to do, Cap? And Starbuck says, "Fight them until we can't." That's right. Fade to black. That's right. And you know what? Damn it. Anyone else saying that line, I would have been like, but I'll be damned if my main lady, Katie Sackhoff, didn't nail the crap out of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I was like, yeah. Anyways, 
but of course, I'm I'm also totally in the bag for <laughs> Starbuck and Katie Sackhoff. So take that with whatever grain no, of no, salt you, you you're, wish. You're absolutely right. I mean, there there is that that small hope that that the episode they do manage to do. Yeah. They do manage to. I, I I really feel like they did a great job with this. The overall show, mm-hmm. not just this show in particular, but the show in general over all the seasons, the miniseries, all that, they managed to 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 be able to do some of the cheesy stuff, but do it in a slightly different way, or they just did it really well and they didn't do it that often, yeah. so that when they did do it, you didn't feel like Ugh. right, right, like they did it well, and it's almost like hey, give us this one. We don't we don't do this every week to you. Right. But you know what? This moment called for a line like that. Right, right. And I think they did it really well there. No, I, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it was just such a great way to leave a season where you as a fan are just hungry to now understand, well, what, what now happens? What comes next? How is this? Yeah. How does this even possibly work out? Because they're, they're just in such a situation. I mean, the Cylons have them over a barrel at this point. There is no... Very little hope at this point, other than what Starbucks says at the very end. Oh, yeah. And to quote Adama at the beginning of part one, you're pretty screwed. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> that is the that is the uh, best sit rep of the of, of, of the that I can come up with. A commander is pretty well screwed. That's right. That's right. Thank you very much. Well, my friend, I think I think that sums up two point five, does it? Well, so the one thing that I want to do, I do want to go back. Oh, on because yes. this. In, this actually goes back to downloaded, and I kind of didn't mention it there because I wanted to get to this episode because I thought it was interesting. The idea that so when um when the Cylons show up and they come into uh they're showing up, Head Six is there with Baltar, mm-hmm. and you get the feeling that she hasn't been around a whole lot because all of a sudden she's there, and he's he seems very like surprised. Yeah, yeah. So obviously they ain't been hanging out all that much because well. Baltar's had other things preoccupying him. And let's just leave it at of that. Of course. One of them's a blonde and one of them's a brunette. Uh, so the uh, he kind of asks, like, what's going on? And she says, Judgment Day. Now, I thought it was interesting ah. because back in Downloaded, mm-hmm. uh, after they fake Hera's death, Six had said something along the lines of, you know, you'll be suffering God's judgment. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea that this is God's judgment and that you look at all of the actions that were taken, yep. you know, Baltar's hubris in, in trying to get them to to land on the planet and to settle on the planet and using that, even though he kind of doesn't believe in it himself, he has to be talked into right. it by Zarek. And he's only talked into it mostly because he just, he thinks it's a good way to win. Right, right. He, he knows the numbers. It's not a great idea. And then, you know, Rosalind's hubris of trying to fix the election and almost in a way kind of handing it to Baltar. Well, and because of because of doing that, like there's no. Right. Once you've done that, you've you've kind of sacrificed the moral high ground completely. And then that whole thing, it's all it's just a series of choices that you get to this point. And it's like, yeah, this is judgment. Well, and like all the debts are kind of coming. And yeah. And and Rosalind hiding, hiding Hera. You yeah. know, I mean, I yeah. mean, that that also comes. I mean, it's it. you know, we, we rag on Baltar a lot, but it's it's a combination of, you know, what she did hiding the baby and what he did mm-hmm. in winning the election and, and putting them down on that planet where it, it just opened the door for this. You know, as Sharon put it, that the, the dark times are coming and the dark times yep. showed up in, in pretty big numbers. Yes, they did. 
So I think now it's time we uh, we 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 shuffle on over and discuss and another thing. And another thing. So what do you got this week, sir? Uh, for me, it is a book uh, that I read a few years back. Um, it has a bit of a uh, rush entanglement. Uh, as you recall, mm-hmm. I am a, a big fan of the band. Now, is there actually a name for rush fans? In like, So Jimmy Buffett has parrot heads, Grateful Dead, dead heads. You know, I'm not really sure. Um, nerds? Yeah, <laughs> Damn! Wow. No, I, I I say that because they're Sir, you might get you might get your credentials revoked on that uh, one. Oh yeah, I know. I, I think I think Mr. Either that or you you'll get like promoted to the head of the Maybe. Line. <laughs> I don't know why. You know, I, I don't really recall there being a term. Um maybe, maybe that's enough to revoke my credentials, but uh I simply hear them called rush fans. So which actually is the most Canadian thing ever. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um, so the, the book is called uh, Clockwork Angels, um, and it is by Kevin J. Anderson and Neil Peart, who is the drummer for Rush. Um, who just celebrated a birthday he last did. week, right? He did. Yes, he did. I drink and I know things. Um, and so back in, I think it was around 2011, 2011, 2012, they... Um, they did this tour, uh, they put out a CD or see, I, I said it again. I'm dating myself. Well, no, it was a CD at the time. Wasn't uh, well, it? I guess. I mean, the, I mean, we had the streaming we had services completely... were in full force, so I, I don't know what to call oh, it at this okay. point, but, um, they, they put out a, a record slash CD called Clockwork Angels, mm-hmm. which, uh, the, the music kind of complemented the book. And oh, okay. uh, the, the book is, is a fictional novel written um, by Mr. Peart, who uh, writes about a young man's quest to follow his dreams. Uh, he is caught between the grandiose forces of order and chaos. He travels through a lavish and colorful world of steampunk and alchemy with lost cities, pirates, anarchists, exotic carnivals, and a rigid watchmaker who imposes precision on every aspect of daily life. Uh, so it's 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 a I, I found it to be an entertaining book. Um, Sounds totally uncharacteristic for some from a member of Rush. <laughs> so outside his wheelhouse. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's so prog rock. It kind of hurts. Absolutely. Well, and, and to be honest, I mean, that was the last uh, record they produced um, before they uh, did their final tour and, and have since retired. Uh, that was their last album. That was, really? that was their last album, Clockwork Angels. Wow, that's kind of it's kind of weird, but yet also kind of perfect. It it, it is, and the the music very much reflects the themes of the book. You know, even you know uh, scenes from the book. Uh, it's meant to be you know complementary to it without it being you know overtly uh, spelling out every aspect of what happens in the book. But mm-hmm. but the songs themselves have a lot of. Um, uh, you know, it, it's not just about the book. It's also about kind of the band's journey. Um, their, mm-hmm. their, their first song, um, oh gosh, it's called Headlong Flight, I think is what it was called. Um, it is a really, really, you know, strong, you know, just rock number by them. And then the, the, the song I really like, uh, you know, so we'll, we'll have a little another thing in here, um, is, is called, uh, I think it's called The Garden. But um, but but given that it was their last album, and given the theme of that song, um, it just kind of really brought everything together as far as you know this idea of um, 
you know, I, I wouldn't have done it any other way, you know, the way that I, I, I live my life and that sort of thing. And so it was just kind of a, a nice, um, and, and just that message of, you know, our, our lives are kind of like we're planting these gardens for, you know, others in our lives to enjoy, you know, once, once we're gone sort of thing. And, um, mm-hmm. so, so anyways, it, it was just, you know, very, uh, very poetic and very, you know, much, uh, given where I am in life and, and where, where they clearly are in life as well. So I, I, I had it wrong. Headlong Flight is the song that they released that's kind of about having no regrets about what they've done. And the neat mm-hmm. part about that song was it very much incorporated elements from prior songs they did. So there, there's little mm-hmm. themes here and there you hear where you're like, oh, OK, this is kind of like this from this album and this is kind of like this from that album. So they kind of sampled themselves. In, in, a, in, in a way, yeah. And then, that's cool. and then the last song, The Garden... That's the one that's very much, I feel like self-reflection of this is the life I lived. You know, this is what I've planted. This is what has grown. This is what I leave, you know, behind for, for my family and my friends, that sort of thing. So it's just very poetic. And, and in the book, it's very much about this young man's journey, you know, kind of through um, his teen, you know, his teen years to to see these sites that he's only read about in books and, and to kind of understand the world that he lives in and experiences just different facets of it. Um, that are all kind of reflected in the music of, of, of the record. So, so yeah, if, if, if you're looking for a, uh, a, a book to just kind of noodle on and just, uh, you know, kind of get a, a little bit of fiction and fun, um, you know, Clockwork Angels, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, and I think it, you know, it's kind of a, a bit of a gateway into, into what the, the, the band does for music. So if you're interested, have at it. You know, I might actually... I, I might actually give that a listen tomorrow while I'm working. You might have turned me around this whole rush thing. All right. You're welcome. I'm just. <laughs> and now, if only I could get you to listen to good music. Oh, Anyways. good Lord. Come on. Oh. Come on now. Oh, hey, you know what? I say that as the person who used to go into your room and steal your uh, your YouTube pop album. Hey. Lemma. Is, is pot was that was that oh was no that that, that was Europa. no that was discotech oh that was discotech you're right what is your and another thing well uh so i mine is much less uh deep than yours sir uh <laughs> i i decided not to go literary oh, and you. i went with uh with more the the vulgar art of the cinema uh so <laughs> john wick three oh, there we go came out i believe it was last week or something and i and i missed the release date and so I managed to get it uh, a little bit later. No, actually, it was last Tuesday, I think. Anyways, um, so I got that. And I have, I'm a big fan of the John Wick movies because, honestly, I, like a well-done revenge movie, mm-hmm. I think, is, is, can be really cool, especially when it's just unrepentant, like, this is what we're going to do. And we're not going to try and force this in or force that in because we're trying to make it a well-rounded movie to a to appeal to the biggest audience. Right. It's just this. That's why I think uh, Kill Bill 1 and 2 are fantastic movies mm-hmm. because they are just unrepentant revenge flicks. Yeah. That's all it's about. There's not really a love story. <laughs> it's just I've been done wrong and they will pay. Mm-hmm. And that really is John Wick. And it's ridiculous, but yet it's done so well. There's like a balance between the ridiculousness and kind of the realism and also um, kind of humor in it as well. Like, it, it feels kind of self-aware. It's it's a little bit less cheeky Deadpool 
sort of mm-hmm. thing to me. Like it's kind of aware of how ridiculous it is. Yeah. Uh, and John Wick three, I was really looking forward to because I really enjoyed the first two John Wick movies because they really did. They built this world and they just kept on adding layers and layers and layers and texture and shading to it. And it was beautiful. John Wick three, I thought was was really good. I don't know if it's quite as good as the first two, but it is really good. And it continues to add on to that mythology of this character who is just, you know, Keanu Reeves is this character of a, of a, of a hitman that they, you know, in the first movie they describe him as Baba Yaga, the boogeyman. Mm. And even, and even then they, they take it a step further where, you know, they're like, no, no, no. He's more like the person you go to, you, you send to kill the boogeyman. Ah. And like this, just this mythology of this character and this, this idea, the thing that I love is they keep referring back to in the first two movies, uh, like he had this impossible task in order to get out of this world. And he, he, he got out of being a hitman. He got out of the underworld to, to marry this woman that he loved. And then she died. Um, not through a horrible, again, uh, atypical. She doesn't die because of like some horrible accident or someone came to get him. Like she has a disease. She dies. Okay. And, uh, and then he gets pulled back in through a set of, of just weird, random circumstance. And it's, it's just, you know, they refer to like the way that he was able to buy his freedom from the underworld was this impossible task and he managed to accomplish it. But yet they never describe, they never tell you what it is, mm-hmm. but yet it just builds and builds and builds and your, your brain fills in the blank of like, it, good God, it must've been immense. It must've been like this or that, but they never tell you what it is. And I keep waiting every movie. I'm like, maybe they're going to tell us what it is. Maybe they're going to tell us. And they don't. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I was waiting for this third one. And I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it. I, I wanted to see this on the big screen. And I just, the summer got away from me. And I'm a horrible John Wick fan. So I just, I didn't see it in the theater. So I had to settle for Blu-ray. Um, I know I suck at life. Okay, fuck. <laughs> you have priorities. Go get on your Rush message board and have fun with all your Canadian Al- friends. Already Anyways. have been on it. Thank you. Why? Uh, I know. I know. You've been just sitting here tip, uh, tapping along the entire time. like. Um, so anyways, uh, but a fantastic flick. Fantastic. Holly Berry is in All right. It. Have to check it uh, out. She is, she is great. Um, it's just a real fun flick. And Lawrence Fishburne's in it. And his character, he is just so over the top and kind of... <laughs> Just great. Oh, it's fantastic. Just watching. It's fantastic watching him and Keanu just chew scenery around each other. It's awesome. Um, But yeah, I highly recommend John Wick 3. If you have not seen it, go out and see it. If you haven't seen the first two John Wick movies, what in the hell is wrong with you? Go see the first, you know, go out and rent them and then rent John Wick 3. And, uh, you know, if you're disappointed... <laughs> that, that is all Todd has to say. Perhaps you ought to seek some sort of medication. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with you at that point. I really don't. Oh I just I gosh. don't get it. Oh so that's gosh. that's my and another thing. All right. Very nice. Very nice. So once again, it's uh it's been a pleasure to to sit here and chat with you, yes. sir. We appreciate all of our uh, all the folks who who actually download and listen to these things. I mean, good sweet God. Have yourself a drink. You've made it this far. We appreciate you. And uh, did we or did we not keep it under 250? 
we just crossed the 250 mark if you're talking about two hours and 50 minutes. Well, we're getting better. (laughs) Well, yeah, I guess. Although I have a little ditty that I'm going to throw at you right now just before we close. Oh, here we go. I just thought we were going to make it under three, and here you are. You're going to blow this out to three. Just real quick. I I, I literally just read this uh, as we were doing the show. Oh, no. Today, apparently the man behind Mr. Robot, the show, is bringing back. Oh, I saw this. I saw this. I don't even want to talk about this right okay. now. I don't. Right. No, you know what? You got because we can't. We can't do that. On just go ahead. Well, it basically NBC Universal is going to be uh, doing a potential reboot of Battlestar Galactica. No, God. No, God, please, no, no, no. No! However, the person in charge, the the producer of Mr. Robot, his name is I think Sam Esmail or something like that is his name. Let me see. Yeah, Sam Esmail uh, has assured that it is not a reboot, uh, but is a new story within the mythology. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, but I don't know how I feel about that. But hey, we can talk about that next time. I know how I feel about it. No. We'll hear about it I know, next I, time. I know how I feel about it. <laughs> no, God, please, no. 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 But I won't be discussing it because I don't want to cuss on this family-friendly <laughs> show. Right, very nice. Thank you. We, we, we appreciate the restraint. Standing around like a bunch of morons. Oh, boy. That's all I have to say about <laughs> that. All right, sir. So oh uh, we are going to draw this. We are going to try and, and, and bring this to a close. Cinch it up like a hefty cinch sack of knowledge mm-hmm. and just goodness. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I I always I you know I, people might think that I, I I I talk a lot and I do because I'm insecure and I grew up fat. But you know I what I really <laughs> oh, do is I rely it. on Tim oh. to really just pull this whole thing. He is the straw that stirs the drink, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my goodness. He is the glue that holds this thing together. Wow. And I rely on him at the end of each episode to really just kind of pull everything together to send us out on the on the proper note to to, to deliver a, a, a benediction of sorts oh, if you geez. will even if you won't okay. <laughs> uh, to kind of just bring it all together all right now brother man do you have anything for us today? i do i i since, since we went into some some depth on uh on russian clockwork angels i i have a, a couple lines of of the song to read the garden if if, if you don't mind me ending that way I do, but go right ahead. Anyways. Okay. The treasure of a life is a measure of love and respect. The mm-hmm. way you live, the gifts that you give, in the fullness of time, it's the only return that you expect. Damn! And turn your lights out on the way out. So say we are. I can take the wrong way. Quit drinking. I beg your pardon. What did you say? Damn! You're such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. Get out. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. So say we all. So say we all. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. <laughs>